It's time for the Mad Dog Show, coming to you live from the Park Group Studio in the heart of the Bulldog Nation. The Mad Dog Show is proudly sponsored by The Sanford Company, Dogbone.net, Bulldog Illustrated, Classic City Collective, The Park Group Marketing and Media, Bib Distributing, Sellers Construction, Ventures Barbecue, Go Clean Co., Jay Lee, Attorney at Law, Pelicano Construction, Jag's Pizzeria, Megan Monogramming, Ortho Georgia, Cherokee Brick, Progressive Communications, Butler Auto Group, ASP, Ward Mini Storage, Walthall Oil Company, Beach Services, Willingham Sash and Door, and Grenford Chiropractic. Now, here he is, the Mad Dog. So, bye week, and if you think the bye week show is going to be boring, think again, because it could be the saddest bye week in history, but it doesn't have to be. We get to choose. We get to decide, and I feel the sadness, and I feel the disappointment, and so do you. Of course, I'm talking about Brock Bowers. He's not gone. He's just gone for a little while. And hopefully I'll make you feel better, but first I got to get testy about two things, two things that bug me. The first one is storming the field in regular season games. You know what that looks like to me? Teams who aren't used to winning. It's like losers who finally won a big game. So congratulations, you don't suck as bad as you used to. Remember the last time we stormed Sanford Stadium? Exactly. It's not cool, it's stale. And it's been done. So get creative and do something else. Go burn some couches or something. I think uh, that's been done a time or two. And that's at least a little bit more creative than storming the field. Two, football players holding hands and singing after a game. I know what we used to call that. It's a three-letter word that I can't say right now. So I'll use a four-letter word. And that word is lame. That is lame to sit there and hold hands and sing and sway back and forth. Oh, but it's a tradition, Mad Dog. And to that, I say it's a tradition that sucks. Start a new one. This is a football game, not a Broadway musical. And I'm just getting warmed up. I'm just now starting to get a little bit hot and spicy because I'm excited about this bye week because we got Mark Slayball tonight. He is back. Mark Slayball, in case you don't know, is a writer from ESPN. He covers college football. He covers the PGA. He's written more New York Times best-selling books than I can count. He's also a DGD and an all-around cool dude. Then, for the first time ever, we have a current member of the UGA staff, and that's Jack Peterson from Macon, Georgia. He's inside the university, and he has insight, and he's going to give us the Athens vibe in the wake of Bauer's injury and a whole lot more. Dr. Feelgood, also known as Dr. Schnetzer, he took a week off, and what happened? Another high ankle sprain, a big one. So he's in the penalty box, and we put him out on assignment. Next week, he's going to do an expose on the controversy involved with the tightrope surgical procedure for high ankle sprains. There will be visual aids followed by a short quiz. Next, serving up the juice and bringing the mojo, it's Buffalo followed by Dogger, and we'll find out who sucks at gambling. The stat freak will then barge in on us like a WWE wrestler. Who is the stat freak, you say? Well, 
That's Bert Hodges from thedogbone.net. But enough of this preliminary stuff. It's time to get serious because Mark Slayball is in the house. So we are very excited to welcome Mark Slayball back to the show. And for those of you returning in for the first time and maybe don't know about Mark. Let me just tell you a little bit about him because he's not kind of a big deal. He is a big deal. He's more than just my friend showing up to be on the podcast. Mark is with ESPN. He covers college football. He has a wonderful job also following the Pro Golfers Association Tour. Gets to travel around with that. He is also a best-selling author, uh, a New York Times best-selling author. At one time, he had three books simultaneously on the New York times bestseller list. He has written books about Bobby Bowden with Bobby Bowden. He has written books uh, on the Heisman. He's written too many books to name about uh, the duck dynasty guys. And uh, he has lots of hilarious stories such as when his dog got loose on the field at Georgia during the Kentucky game, which I will not force him to tell that story again, because I'm sure that he gets tired of it. So with that introduction, welcome back, Mark. David, how are you? Thank you. I'm doing great, man. Great to have you back. Thanks for having me again. I can't believe, you know, last time I really talked to you was the beginning of the season. We blink our eyes and we're seven games in. I know. It's about halfway over. I think Michigan's reached the halfway point. Still haven't played anybody, but they played out <laughs> their schedule. Uh, it uh, It's flown by for me. I think I've only been to two games because um, I had a – I had a two-week stint in Europe covering the Solheim Cup and the Ryder Cup, so I was gone. But I introduced a lot of uh, a lot of the British media to uh, college football and the Georgia Bulldogs while I was over there. What do they think about it? Uh, I got a really good friend who is from uh, Wales who works for one of the London papers, and he just can't get in his head why we watch schoolboys play football. And then I show him Sanford Stadium and – Neyland Stadium and the big house and the horseshoe. And he goes, holy, you know what? That's a lot of people. Yeah. So, you know, they take their football, soccer pretty seriously over there. And they've got 15, 20,000 people showing up to some of those games. Yeah. We have like Wembley Stadium all over the country on Saturdays. Yeah, exactly. So at the beginning of the year, you, you got – a lot of attention for your thoughts on Colorado and what was going on there. And in my mind, what you did was you basically said what a lot of people were thinking, which is, you know, that model that Dion was employing was not good for college football. And I'd love for you to expound on that. No, I mean, I just, I look, I, I don't have a personal problem with Dion. I, I mean, I, he was right. a fantastic player. He's done a better job than expected. He did a good job at Jackson State. You know, is it all about him some of the time? Yeah, but a lot of guys are like that. But um, I just didn't like the means to the end. I didn't like the fact they ran off 55, 60 kids who were on scholarship there before, um, you know, before he got there. And, you know, he, and he came in the first day and said, you guys are gone and I'm bringing my Gucci. And he hadn't even seen those kids, some of those kids practice. Right. So I just didn't, you know, didn't like the the way he went about it. And I think I wrote um, he was gonna he's gonna have a rocky season, and that TCU would hang half a hundred on him. <laughs> and 
and a lot of people in Colorado got upset with me, but I think TCU scored 42 points mm-hmm. the first week and should have had a hell of a lot more than that. But unfortunately, Sonny Dykes' team gave up 45 points and Colorado won. So that kind of started the monster. But look, Deion's a salesman. His sons are salesmen. His sons are good players. Um, you know, he brought a lot of attention to Colorado. Colorado's made a lot of money off of it. Um, you know, it just it just seemed like immediately we had anointed Shador as the Heisman winner, Dion as the coach of the year, and Colorado was a college football playoff contender. And they'd beat it, beaten a rebuilding TCU team, a 20-year struggling Nebraska team, and Colorado State. So I think we got a little bit ahead of ourselves. Well, it felt like you were kind of, you know, approaching it as a dad of, you know, you're thinking, okay, my kids rearranged his life, our family's life to go to just say what to any school. And so if you have a coach come in there, just like you said, doesn't watch any film and all of a sudden just dismisses everybody, that's really not fair. You got to at least give the guys who are there a shot to essentially retry out for the team. No, and I think he did in some cases, but some cases he didn't. But he wasn't the only guy who did it either. I mean, Biff, I went up to Charlotte and did a story on Biff Pogey, the coach up there, who was Jim Harbaugh's right man, who's a former private equity guy worth a couple hundred million dollars probably. And he kind of did the same thing. I think he brought in 39 new players. Um, it's just – it's what college football is, you know. You either embrace it or don't. I mean, I still love the sport. I still love watching games, but – I. I've got, I've got some issues with what it's becoming, and I think it's only going to get worse just because there's so much damn money at stake. Do you think that, speaking of the money, that the, the portal paired with NIL is what's creating such parity because it, it feels like it's leveling the playing field to a certain extent because these players, you know, they've they've done well in one place, but they're getting recruited away to wherever, to USC, because they could go out there and just make a ton of money. Yeah, but, I mean, Georgia Georgia lost a ton. They've lost, what, 25 players in the NFL draft over the last two years. Lost Stetson Bennett, you know, led them to two straight national titles. But, you know, is Georgia a better football team if they got A.D. Mitchell? Probably. Is Georgia a better football team if they have Bear Alexander? Probably. Are they a better team if they've got Jermaine Burton? Maybe. Um, you know, I think it's just you've seen it across the board. I think it's why Alabama – struggled in the beginning of the year because a lot of theirs guys left. Um, you know, I think, you know, USC looked like a contender for a little while because Lincoln Riley poached a bunch of kids again. Um, you know, I think it's just, uh, it's just the way it's going to be. If anybody listening is, is want some info on Mark, uh, just go out there and Google him. Wikipedia has all of his books that he wrote. But if you want to just find something super current, you wrote a great article for ESPN. Um, I think it came out yesterday talking about Brock Bowers. And one thing in there uh, where Kirby seemed to get a little bit testy when a reporter asked him about uh, the time frame for when Bowers would come back, which I thought was very interesting to read. Um, do you get to actually – have the time to go to any of those press conferences anymore or? Um, I did not go to that one. I saw, I watched the video of it. Um, I get over there somewhat regularly. Um, I didn't, I didn't go yesterday because 
I wrote four news stories yesterday. I wrote two college football stories and two golf stories. Um, so I did not get over there. But, um, you know, obviously a pretty crushing blow for the Bulldogs, losing Brock Bowers, who I think is the best non-quarterback in college football, um, maybe the best player in college football. But, you know, I think it's a – I think it's a positive sign if you're a Georgia guy or a Georgia fan because the fact he had the surgery tells me that he wants to come back and he's going to work hard to come back as, as soon as possible. And, you know, Bowers is a different type of cat and he may come back sooner than people expect, but it's also a, a pretty sensitive issue because he's got such a bright future in the NFL and his potential top five picks. So I think, People are going to tell him, his doctors are going to tell him, and rightfully so, that he's got to be sure he's 100% healthy before he comes back so he, he doesn't hurt it again. What do you put the percentage chance? Let's say he doesn't come back till Tech. What do you put the percentage chance of the dogs you know, running the table with the, those four teams that we play that control their destiny right now? I mean, I, David, I, I think it was going to be difficult even with him. Yeah. Just because I don't think this team's as good as it was the last two years, and those two teams were really, really good and won national championships. But you know, I just you look at the the slow starts, the fact they struggled on the road against a really bad Auburn team. Um, you know, you got to go on the road to Tennessee. You got to play play Ole Miss, which is going to score a bunch of points probably. Missouri's a much improved football team. I don't think they should have too much trouble with Florida in Jacksonville, but I think they've turned it over a bunch against Florida the last few years um, and gotten away with it. So, um, you know, Bowers is a huge difference maker. Um, you know, I think they've got the talent on the perimeter with, with Ra Ra Thomas and Dominic Lovett and Rosemary Jack Saint and some other guys to overcome it. But, you know, it's it's more than just catching the football. I mean, the dude's so good after after catching it and running after contact, and um, he's such a tremendous blocker, such a dominant blocker. They're going to miss that too, and they, they've they've struggled to to seal the edge on you know outside runs all year. Um, so we'll see, but um, you know they've got the talent to overcome it. It's just if you had to have a play in the fourth quarter. To, to win like at, at Auburn, you knew you could go to 19 or you could go to Ladd McConkey. Yeah, I mean, he's literally the perfect example of a difference maker. I mean, you look at that Auburn game and without him, probably don't win. No, no question about it. I mean, you look at what he did in the fourth quarter of that game and he's, I mean, he's a safety net for, for Carson Beck, who's still, you know, what, six, seven games into his first season as a starter. So, yeah, I was listening to Rick Neuhaus on the radio driving to the office the other day, and and he said it was going to make Mike Bobo's job easier because now you can distribute the ball to, to all these different playmakers and everybody in the receiver room is going to be happy again. And I was thinking in the back of my head, the hell with that. If I'm Mike Bobo, I want 19 out there because I know he's not going to he's not going to drop it. Yeah, Joey Galloway kind of said the same thing uh, last night on ESPN on their college playoff show. Um, which I found that that's yeah. it's an interesting theory, um, and a lot it's of people, an interesting theory. It's an interesting theory. I just don't know if it's true. Yeah, it's. I mean, you it's ask, any, you ask any coach in the yeah, you ask any coach in the country 
would they rather have Brock Bowers or would they rather be able to throw it to six different receivers? I think everybody's going to say they'd rather throw it to Brock Bowers. Exactly. All right. So every Sunday, the article comes out uh, in ESPN where it's you and all of the writers and you're doing your top four. But that, if I understand correctly, is your top four now. If you had to predict who the top four are going to be when it matters at the end of the year, who do you think is going to make it? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know that – I guess it's the top four now. I don't know if everybody, if everybody always follows that. I think there's about 15 people on there, and there's some, there's some selections yeah. that got me scratching my head a little bit. But um, I'll still go with Georgia because I think even if they were to lose to, like, Tennessee on the road or Ole Miss at home, I think with what Alabama's shown over the last few weeks, putting it back together, that if you if you lost to Tennessee on the road and you beat – you know, ranked Missouri, ranked Ole Miss, and, and a pretty good Alabama team in the SEC championship game. I, and you're the two-time defending national champion. I don't think they're going to leave you out. I still think Michigan's the team to beat in the Big Ten. I just, you know, they haven't played anybody of consequence yet, but I think they're the most complete team with the offensive line and J.J. McCarthy, and they got two really good backs. And I think defensively that might be the best unit he's had. Jim Harbaugh still got some issues with Ohio State. Penn State, we'll learn a lot about this week. Um, I just don't trust James Franklin, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> I would probably go Washington in the Pac-12, although I think Oregon's capable of coming back and beating them in the, the Pac-12 championship game. You've seen it with Georgia and Alabama over the years. It's really difficult to beat a team twice in one season. Um Dan Lanning probably wishes he could have a, back a couple of calls in that game, but also, I also give him credit for going for it on fourth down at the end because he was trying to seal the game and, and ice it. And, you know, his kids came up short. But um, so that's what, three? Probably Florida State, I guess. Um, I still don't trust the Seminoles 100%, but I like Jordan Travis. I don't know if he's as good as as he's being billed out to be. Um, but Clemson's bad. You know, North Carolina will be a test with Drake May, and, and especially now that Tez Walker's playing again and eligible. Um, and I'd probably go with them over Oklahoma. So you obviously have super high knowledge of college football. Are you just having to constantly, you know, go out and just read voraciously on the Internet? Or is ESPN pushing a lot of, you know, data to you? Or is it a combination of both? I think it's a combination of both. And it's trying to talk to as many people as possible, which I'm going to admit I don't have the opportunity to do that as much as I did before because I'm covering two sports now. Um, I just watch as much as I can, read as much as I can. We have a great stats and info department. I've also been blessed with a um, – photographic memory. I can remember all kinds of football staff stats, but I couldn't tell you what my wife told me to do five minutes ago. Um, just <laughs> weird way my, my brain works, but I can remember stupid football facts with the best of them and, and have pretty good recall with it. So to me, and I think to a lot of people, you, you've kind of got, you are living the dream. Okay. You get to cover pro golf awesome get to travel around and do that meet these golfers meet these professional golfers get to be friends with some of them you get to 
cover college football, same thing, meet all these coaches, meet a lot of players, cover all that, go to what you want to or not. Best-selling author, which is published author, New York Times best-selling author, writing about things that you like to write about. Um, you live in Madison, Georgia. I mean, <laughs> what? God's country. That's right. I mean, you got it going on. Tell yeah, but I'm still a 15 tell handicap. Us, tell us what's bad about what you're doing right now. I'm like, a 15 handicap. What? I'm a 15 handicap in golf because I cover too much golf and too much okay. college football. And I played Monday. I got to play Monday in a charity golf tournament with a couple of buddies, but um, I think I played six times this year, which is just terrible. I used to play like 30 times a year. So that's uh, the glasses half empty part of, of your lifestyle. Yeah, you cover golf. You get to go to all these great golf courses. And, I mean, dude, in the last year alone, I've been to Scotland, England, Spain, and Rome, and Canada to cover golf tournaments. And it's absolutely criminal that I have played zero rounds of golf in those five countries because I spend all day <laughs> at the golf course. I had five. And you're just trudging around, following different guys. Yeah, I had five tee times in uh, St. Andrews last year for the Open, but didn't get to play once because Tiger Woods showed up at St. Andrews. So, Berkman's, like when it's when it's Augusta time, Masters time, or, or do you get to spend any time in Berkman's? Though, I think I, I went once maybe three years ago. I mean, it's, it's literally, you show up at 7 a.m. and you're getting out the door around 8 or 9, and you're just exhausted. So, you know, we got a really nice setup at Augusta. Our house is, like, right across from the gate where we park. Um, and I'll bring the Weber grill with me for the 60-mile drive down I-20. <laughs> we cook at the house most of the week. I mean, it's I'm not complaining, but, no, it's um, – I haven't been to Berkman in, in a few years. So when you're in Augusta in that house across from the gates, is it, it's not writers all crammed up into a house. It's you and your family, right? No, it's me and two other people from ESPN. We have, I think we've got about 50, we have about 15 houses that week probably because we broadcast the first couple of rounds. Um, there's a pretty sizable ESPN army over there. I'm sure. So when you're covering a tournament, are you kind of just roaming around with a notepad, just, you know, scribbling down notes to put together into your article for later? I mean, I'm, they don't let you have a phone, do they? No, Augusta's tough because you can't have a phone, which makes it really right. honest, which makes it difficult to um, leave the media center because if anything happens, you know, Tiger slips or whatever, a security guard nearly falls into Tiger's knee. You know, there's no way for somebody to, to call you and tell you to get back. So it's, it's difficult to leave. I try to get out for the practice rounds and, and walk with some guys. Um, you know, most tournaments are pretty good about giving us inside the ropes access. So you can walk and talk who's with the, guys. Who's the funniest, like, comedian golfer out there? Best sense of humor. Hmm. Probably Kevin Kisner. Right, really? I, yeah, I hate to give him any credit, but he's he's pretty funny. Um, I mean, most of them, for the most part, are, are pretty good guys. Yeah. Harry Higgs, Joel Damon, 
Those guys have great personalities. My wife and daughters love Damon because they watched Full Swing on Netflix. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're both good. Dude, Brian Harmon's a great guy. I don't know about sense of humor, but he's just a, a really solid dude. Mm-hmm. He, uh, Hamilton Culpepper's got a new podcast, and that was his first guest. No, oh, was it really? Yeah. From a tree stand, I'm sure. No, it wasn't. It was at Hamilton's apartment. Uh, they were on his poker table. They oh. sat there and chopped it up. Yeah, he's a he's a, he's a, he is he is a tremendous guy. I was happy for him at the uh, Hoy Lake because that was like um, that was kind of like uh, Aaron Murray going into Auburn with 110,000 people screaming for him to to throw a pick every time. Right. The British were not happy he was winning. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they weren't. So what um, what games are you going to try and make? Between now and the end of the year, uh, I'm not going anywhere this weekend. I'm going to Georgia, Florida. If, if Georgia, I mean, basically, I, because I live so close to Athens, if, if Georgia wins, I'll keep going to Georgia games. I'll go to, I'll go to Georgia, Florida. I'll go to Georgia, Missouri. I'll go to Georgia, Ole Miss. I think I'll probably, I think Chris Lowe is probably going to do Georgia, Tennessee for us because he lives up there. So I may try to get away to Bama or Florida State that week. Um, I like, I try to get out by the end of the year to see the the big contenders right in person so now that sadly it looks like brock's out of heisman contention who are your at this point top three um i had him in my top five going into last week and a couple other people at espn did as well um Probably Michael Penix Jr. from Washington won. Um, Bo Nix, number two. I can't – I like Bo. I'm happy for him because I thought he got a raw deal at Auburn. He had three different offensive coordinators mm-hmm. in three years and went to Oregon. And Kenny Dillingham leaves after the first year as well. So, he uh, he kind of got a raw deal. But – you know, it's it's hard to get that opener last year out of your head, but he's had he's had two really good seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Drake May would be kind of up there, but he hasn't. He's had receiver problems. Dylan Gabriel, Jordan Travis. I think Caleb Williams is out of it after last week. I think Dylan Gabriel's not getting really to me enough press. I, I was very impressed with him in that Texas game, both running and passing. He's tough. He's 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 tough. He's a tough player. They hadn't played anybody up until that game, but he's he'll have a chance to stretch. The Big 12's just not that good. TCU's taking a big step back. Texas Tech, I thought, was going to be a pretty good team. They they got beat early, I think, by Wyoming. Um, it turns out to be good. Yeah, Wyoming is good. They lost to Air Force last week, but uh, Air Force is undefeated. Weird year. Troy Calhoun always does a great job every year. Flipping back a second to James Franklin, I've got a feeling that he's going to get over the hump at Ohio State this week. Am I crazy? No, you're not, because uh, they've got two really good backs. I think Drew Aller has played really well. Probably got the best left tackle in college football. Um, defensively, they've been good. It's it's a big step up in, in competition for them. They haven't played much of anybody. Right. So far as well. Um, But I mean, I think, you know, I think they're as legitimate as the other two. Um, 
who they beat? They beat West Virginia week one, shut out Iowa, which everybody does. Um, <laughs> so I can't. I saw. God, where was it? Hold on, I got it. Last week, Iowa had 136 yards of offense. Let me give you the right stats. Had Are they, Iowa undefeated. Iowa had 37 passing yards and went four for 17 on third down against Wisconsin and won. Like 15 to six or something? Yeah, Tanner Mordecai got hurt. But, I mean, it's just the classic Kirk Ferentz victory at Iowa. Um, I think Iowa lost one. Yeah, they're six and one. Um, they just, I mean, it's it's just criminal that they're that bad on offense and his son's the offensive coordinator. I mean, it's it's the worst case of nepotism I've seen since Jim Herrick Jr. hired his son. Well, that's funny. But, you know, obviously, you know that uh, his yeah, – You know what? God rest his soul. His son <laughs> well, Brent's son, you know, he's got that, you know, clause in his contract that he has to average 25 points a game by the end of the year or he's gone. Yeah, which is – it's kind of like those royalties the publishers give me that say sell 2 million books and we'll give you 10 cents a, a book when you know you're never going to get it. It's kind of right. like that. Yeah. Kind of like that. The the uh, hurdle that you cannot get over. Yeah, but they uh, they'll end up winning the West because Illinois not very good. Wisconsin just lost Mordecai. Northwestern's a, a dumpster fire. I mean, there's there's nobody in that that side of the league. And last year that they'll do that since they're doing the same thing we are and collapsing back into one. Yeah. Uh, back to Penn State. One last thing. I don't. I know that Penn State has gaudy defensive stats, but that's probably a byproduct of not playing anyone. Do you think they'll be able to put pressure on Ohio State's quarterback, whose name escapes me? Uh, Kyle McCord. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he hasn't been great. I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr. finally had a big game last week. but I mean, they, they haven't really gotten it to those guys on the perimeter as much as I thought. Um, and they've still got the two backs, too, uh, Trevian Henderson and the other kid. But um, Notre Dame really shut them down. But, I mean, then you look at what Notre Dame did against USC last week on the line of scrimmage, and they just dominated the Trojans up front. So mm-hmm. maybe Notre Dame's not getting enough credit. But um, – I don't know. I mean, Franklin did a nice job at Vanderbilt, but Georgia was struggling under Mark Richt. Florida was rebuilding. South Carolina was bad. And, you know, Tennessee was awful as usual. So it was – I I mean, look, he wanted Vanderbilt and won a lot of games at Vanderbilt, which is really, really hard to do. But I also think the SEC was was down like it, it rarely had been. Yeah, he was right place, right time, and really parlayed that into a, just a huge marquee job, as you know. But the enemy of my enemy is my friend, so as much as I loathe Penn State, I loathe Ohio State more and would love to see Lou Holtz really give it to Ryan Day if they can help physical yeah. by Penn State. <laughs> Penn, that game's at Ohio State, though, right? Yeah, it's at Ohio State. Yeah, It'll be, it'll which be make it even better if they lost. That'll be Aller's first big road game. 
So is I always talk about what I want to talk about. Is there anything you want to talk about? Uh, no. I wish uh, Widespread Panic would schedule a Thursday night show instead of a Friday and Saturday in Jacksonville. <laughs> Savannah, I mean. That, that, I mean, you've got the connections. You can pull the strings. You're up there, you know, in, at ground zero. Yeah, no, I'm uh I would love to go to the Savannah show, but I don't think I can pull a Friday nighter and then go to the football game. Yeah. I mean I think the demand's there. All right, I maybe do in, have maybe in Milledgeville this week for uh, <laughs> Are you going to Milledgeville? I don't think I have a choice. <laughs> what we're talking about is Blues Traveler is playing in Milledgeville and uh Mark is, has a family obligation to to go. I, I guarantee you'll go and they'll play none of their greatest hits. That's what happened the last time they were in Macon. It, it could be worse. Like it could be. Uh, God, who was that? Let's see, now that I say this, I can't even remember the name of the band. It was so bad. Uh, all right, I just blew it. I can't remember. I'm sorry. Just a band from that genre from back in the day. Yeah, that had like one hit. Um, all good. No, it wasn't all good. All good's uh, all his drummers a federal judge in Gainesville, Georgia. Are you serious? Yeah, met him at a restaurant in Madison. Man, all good was one of those that was just couldn't quite get over the hump, but they were so good. That album what was it, uh, Ride the Bee? Every song on there is good. Oh, it's gonna kill me now that I can't remember it. It wasn't, was this name of the song Crazy Women? No, it was more. I mean, it was really popular. I mean, it was probably even being played on radios, but. Are you trying to find it? Yeah, but I'll never find it. Um, I mean, I could piss, make everybody mad and say fish, but could you go on and on about them for like 15 minutes? Yeah. Nope. Their fans ruin it. I'd rather watch Iowa's offense for 12 straight weeks. <laughs> All right. Well, I've got one last question for you. Are you contractually bound by ESPN to not publicly say go dogs? Yes. I'm not contractually. Um, <laughs> I'm not contractually obligated, but um, I just, I think you got to be somewhat objective. I say go dogs every time I write a check to the University of Georgia to pay for my daughter. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, same yeah. here. I've been doing it for the last eight years. You got to wait. Yeah, it could be a heck of a lot worse, though, as you well know. Yes. You could be writing checks to, you know, across state lines or to Atlanta or. I don't think I have to worry about the Ivy League. Yeah, me either. I, I'm almost done. I got two more years and I've got them all off my payroll. I got one and a half years left, and then I still got one in high school. Yep. You got to keep writing. Well, that's why, I'm, that's why I'm here. Well, hopefully I'll run into you down to Jacksonville. Yep. Looking forward to be up on St. Simons. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to see you there, but maybe I'll see you at the game. All right. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks for coming. Mark Slayball, ladies and gentlemen. So we are pleased tonight to have Jack Peterson, EFO from the UGA Athletic Department. How you doing, Jack? Doing wonderful. How are you doing, Mad Dog? 
And I'm great now that I'm talking to you, talking to a, a Macon native living up there in the land of dreams, living the dream in Athens. So tell, tell me, what's the vibe like up there after the Bowers injury? You know, um, the vibes are still good. It's very, very tough, obviously, when you lose one of your top players in the country and on your own personal roster. Um, but we're going to rely on depth, and it's next man up up here. I'm sure that all of Dog Nation is aware of that, and uh, we've put college football on notice the past few years with building depth up, and that's what football's about. Football's a team sport, and, you know, it really does suck that Brock's out because – He's a leader, as humble of an athlete as it gets, and he's just good for college football, and he brings a different different dynamic to the offensive scheme overall. So we're uh, going to adjust from it, and I'm confident that Kirby Smart and company will do what's necessary for us to keep winning games and move on. I feel the exact same way. But there is, though, that period where you go through the stages of grief. You know, first it's denial, then anger, and now we've, we've moved on to acceptance because what else can we do? And to your point, you're right. It's next man up. It's not like we're sitting there with nobody on the bench. We got Delp. We got Lucky. We got Sperlin. We got all these weapons on offense. So um, I feel good about where we are. And obviously, it's never a good time for that, but it came at a bye week. So we've got time to definitely plan for it. Um, Could not agree more. So tell me about your different roles that you've had in the UGA Athletic Department. Every time I go to Athens and I get to do something cool, you're right there, and it's like you're getting to do it every day. There you go. So I've almost been with the Athletic Association up here for two full years. Last year in 2022, which is when I finished my undergraduate degree here at Georgia in sports management, I started out that last full semester as a football facilities assistant for UJ Athletics. Colby DeCesar was my boss, and he was my main link to the UJ Athletic Department overall in general, as we know his uncle very well. He actually resides in Macon. So that was kind of the hookup with that. And I learned so many invaluable things under Colby, um, taking care of the indoor turf field, picking up trash after practices, make sure everything's clean when coach dismisses them and whatnot post-practice, um, setting up the 2021 CFP trophy at alumni events, donor events, all that good stuff for all the guests to view and take pictures with, and just other little tasks like that here and there working all home football games. That was a real treat last year, um, coming back off national title in 2021 and having the first full year last fall really under my belt to get things going. And then this past uh, December came along, and towards the end of that, I wanted to take the next step and keep going up here with athletics, and I applied for this EFO full-time internship. Um, my boss is Tanner Steins. He is the one who oversees me. He's the associate AD here for facilities, ops, and capital projects. So um, after the Zoom interview towards the end of last December, I was offered the position a couple days later and have never looked back since then. The cool, unique thing with this department is that I'm pretty much overseeing all sports. I still have a hand in football for the home contest, but now I'm with baseball, softball, tennis, basketball, volleyball, equestrian, track and field, all the other sports on top of football. So literally doing so many things at once. Um, every day is a different day, obviously, in the athletics world, as you can imagine. So we're uh, striving up here to be the best athletic department in the country, and our future is very, very bright. 
So to sum up, you've got dream job with dream school in dream town. Is that Absolutely. kind of in a nutshell? Okay. Yes. I got scolded last week by my brother for referring to artificial turf as AstroTurf. He told me that AstroTurf is long since gone. I then look at it, looked it up. Educate me. AstroTurf is different from field turf. How? So the only difference I know is that I'm pretty sure AstroTurf doesn't use the, the black bead material that's mm -hmm. ingrained into the field turf. And that's the opposite of what we have up here. We use that. And a lot of times last year working under Colby in football, I would have to fill in bad divots to make sure a player doesn't snap his ACL or something during right. a drill last year. So that's really the difference that I know. Uh, the grounds crew department would know the most knowledge about that and facts, but that's how I would uh, phrase that and go along with that. Well, speaking of injuries, other than Brock, what is your view on injuries other than for whatever reason over the last few years, everybody gets a high ankle sprain back when, you know, I was a kid, you were a kid, you're going through sports. You might just have a good old fashioned ankle sprain but I don't remember anybody having a high ankle sprain. We got Mims out. We got it's tr that Truss has that too, right? Truss that just happened to Vanderbilt last weekend. Has he had the tightrope? Not you know? that I'm aware of. Not that I'm aware of, but I know it happened in the second or third quarter against Vandy this past weekend. So it's possible, I guess, Mims could be back? So this is literally perfect. Um, I was coming back from lunch to work today. And I walked right through the main indoor of the bottom staircase facilities and Mims is fully dressed out. Um, he doesn't have his pads on or anything, but he has his pants on, cleats on, but I can see he has his big ankle brace in his hand. So I think he was going up to the training room to see Mr. Corson get taped up, yada, 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 do all that good stuff. So it looks like he's very, very close to being full contact back if he's not yet it's very, very marginal and close. So. <clears throat> so maybe next week. Maybe next week. That's what I would say, especially like you mentioned about five minutes ago uh, to start the show, this week could not have come at a better time to be about the bye week for Georgia. So, so back to, I'm going to ask questions all over the place as you say stuff that grabs my attention. So absolutely. you went through ground floor, uh, I'm going to call it cafeteria where all the players eat. Do you get to eat there too? I do not. Um, last year, under the football department, if there was leftover breakfast after 1030, which is like when breakfast technically shuts off at um, Buttsmere for the football players, we could go get the extras. But this year, since I'm in the EFO department, kind of in Buttsmere more, as opposed to the football indoor area, I am not over there as much. And by that point, all the food's gone and I'm already doing other duties and tasks. So well, they made it clear when we were there that it's pretty strict on who gets to eat there. I mean, they're not just letting anybody slide in there at all. Coaches and players first priority and nobody else. Support yeah. staff, um, a few others, the equipment guys. That's mm -hmm. about it. Okay, back to injuries. Ingram Dawkins. Are you are you seeing him walking around? You know, I'm not. Um, he's still in that boot. I think he'll be back sometime in November. Um, but I know we were texting about him a few weeks ago. We're going to need him back. I think he is a massive defensive line 
pressure presence that we are missing. Um, Warren Brinson has obviously been anchoring most of that, and he's been a phenomenal improved stud. But we're going to need more depth on the D-line, and I know you and I have been talking about that a lot. Yeah, he's like the forgotten man because, you know, he's basically been gone the whole year. I think he maybe got some reps in first game and then tried to go and couldn't, and then they finally threw in the towel and said, we're going to have to operate. The whole procedure. There's a bone in his foot, I think. Mm -hmm. Some sort of bone chip, maybe, something like that. Yeah. Um, All right. Who do you think is going to help really fill the vacuum created by Bowers? Not He's not gone, but he's not with us for a while. Is there somebody, you know, kind of off the radar that you think could step in? I mean, obviously everybody wants Ladd to be that guy and be back healthy. um, Before I get to the younger tight ends, which I'll conclude with them, I'll start with the receivers. Um, Everybody knows Ladd is our top receiver depth chart-wise. I mean, gosh, I think he hurt his back again against Vanderbilt this past weekend. Oh, he did? He He did? did? Mm -hmm. Wow. I haven't read that. So we're, I know that we're really being precautionary with that whole deal. Um, Dominique Lovett is a stud. Um, everybody knows that. We use him a lot differently than Missouri did. Um, I would say he was more of their number one over there as to where here we have a tight end like Bowers. Okay, he's our normal, usual go-to, but we can use Lovett for motions. I mean, gosh, he's fast as heck, um, as we know. So – I think Dom will really emerge. You'll start to see with Bowers absent. Mm-hmm. I think Dom will become that go-to receiver personally, um, just because Ladd is still gradually coming back. Um, I think Ra Ra's developed a lot better, especially since the Kentucky game. Um, I mean, you saw those catches, specifically the touchdown in the end zone that he had. He has got length. He's tall. And I think that Ra-Ra is – we're going to really, really depend on him and uh, moving forward. I think that, to be honest, Marcus Rosemi Jack Saint has been the underrated receiver at least the past two years. Last year he contributed. He had a good game against Ohio State in the Peach Bowl. He had that touchdown versus Tennessee mid-November last fall. Um I think he is going to be some sort of a deep threat. He's not the fastest, as we know, can't run like Ra Ra or Dom, but I think he, his presence is going to have to be even more massive moving forward. Um, as far as the rest of the receiver room goes, I'd say Arian Smith has got to improve. We know his talents there. Um, he's quick as heck. Uh, we saw what he did last year in the Peach Bowl with those three major catches he had versus Ohio State. Um, he's had the drops some, unfortunately, this year. That sadly happens with all receivers and tight ends. So hopefully we can get him molded back into the regular offensive scheme and keep pressing. Um, as far as the tight end room goes, I think the most talented freshman's Lawson Lucky. Now, he's battling an injury, and he's obviously a lot more healthy at this point than he was at the beginning of the season. Um, he's just about fully back. So I think we're really going to be using him heavy on from here out until Brock you, back. You're talking about him battling the high ankle sprain as well. Then he injured what, back in August or whatever it was? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I I think he will be a stud, um, but he's got to get involved into the offense. He's only a true freshman. 
So time will only tell, in my opinion. So do you think because of him being a freshman, him coming off an injury, you also got Sperling back there, freshman coming off an injury, it almost thinks we're going to have to move away from a lot of our two tight end sets and just really open it up even more. I would agree. Um, I think Carson is great commanding the spread offense, but when you don't have a tight end set like we've had with Darnell and Brock last year, and then Brock's obviously a junior this year, so he's back. Now he's injured. You're going to have to change up that whole entire scheme. I think we'll be running the ball more as well because I feel like we're finding our groove with the zone runs and inside runs. Time will only tell. What are your thoughts on that? I agree. The run concerns me because I'm concerned we're just going to wear Dejon Edwards out because we can't do running back committee like we've done in the past because we can't keep running backs healthy or at least the ones that we need to stay healthy like Milton. I think he restrained his MCL in the Vandy game. He sure did, and that's a great rebuttal to my point. Um, as far as the running back room goes, I do think we're really talented, but this is one of those years where we're so injured and we have basically no depth like we've had for the past 20 years almost. I mean, everybody knows we've always usually been a run-heavy first offense and been very successful at it. Now, Dejon is who we're pretty much depending on, and he's elite, as we know, as a power runner, but he can't do it all on his own, especially in today's modern era of offense where running backs get the crap beaten out of them. So do you feel like Paul, Andrew Paul, is, is back at this point? I know it feels like we've tried to ease him in coming off that major injury. He's somebody we really need to emerge. Couldn't agree more. Um, that was kind of where my brain was going, that Andrew Paul is definitely that next guy, and he definitely has that it factor. He's lightning quick, too, and very powerful. But I think they've been trying to ease him back into it. And you know how Kirby is with easing back starters from injuries into the whole philosophy and everything, whether you're an offensive or defensive player. So time will tell with him, too. I was hoping that, you know, based on everything I'd read in the offseason about Cash, that he could come in and maybe be a little bit Kenny Mack-esque. And it just doesn't seem like that's materialized. It doesn't seem – I mean, you can't replace Kenny McIntosh. Um, but I was hoping that somebody might try and do their best imitation. But it just doesn't seem like so far that that's kind of where things are moving. I could not agree more with that take. And uh, this is one facet of the running back room that I've noticed this year. We don't really have a guy that can catch out of the backfield. That's what I'm saying. And, and that's where it relates to – the whole Cash Jones spiel, um, not really panning out. You know, he's getting to rotate in every now and then. Um, he's definitely gotten playing time this year and had a few touchdowns. I guess he had that one against UAB maybe or um, at the end versus South Carolina potentially. It was one of those. But we're going to have to really get a guy to step up with Branson being out the rest of the year. Um, Andrew Paul easing back into it. Um, now I will say Andrew Paul can catch out of the backfield from my understanding on the scouting reports. It's just going to take time because, as we know, he's been injured and we've been trying to ease him back into things. All right, here's a forgotten running back. that There's a little bit of hoopla in the offseason because he's from Athens. He transferred back from Tennessee. 
Laneith Whitehead, and he's now the Invisible Man. I mean, I don't even know. Does he dress out? I believe he dresses out. He just doesn't rotate in, doesn't get any playing time, to my knowledge. Um, I don't even know if he's gone in um, for the garbage time minutes for the UAB game, Ball State, uh, UT Martin. I don't know if any of that happened. So he is invisible right now, to say the least. But I'm hoping for the best for him. Yeah, me too. I mean, I think he's a hometown hero type. And, you know, the tape that I saw of him from when he was at Tennessee, he looked good. He, I mean, he looks the part. He's big. I think he's like 6'2", 210, 220. So, you know, I'm I'm guessing that it probably just takes some time to learn the intricacies of that system that they're running. Absolutely. I could not agree more. And, you know, one more back that I want to bring up. Um, I noticed we haven't been running Bell as much lately back there. Right. Um, I think we need to keep him back there with Dejan. That was that was literally the forgotten name that I was going to bring up. I think that he can definitely catch out of the backfield since he's such a solid receiver. Yeah. It's hard because Dejan runs it so well, but you don't know if he's ever going to get dinged up. So then you throw Bell back in there and time will tell with Bell. I think he can be productive. Um, but we're just going to have to get more depth, as we've been saying. I mean, and he's having to learn the offense from a completely new position. It's like, I mean, that's got to be that's like, yeah, it's got to be you're starting from scratch. The good news is he played it in high school, and I mean, he could be lethal coming out of the backfield if we could, you know, get some packages for him that would work. Games one through four, he was very solid out of the backfield, so hopefully, he's progressing more with the schemes and the motions. and knowing what to do, because I know it's not easy transitioning from being a good wide receiver or a Z wide receiver, the slot term, um, to a running back. But to that point, he'll probably go back and forth with both positions um, until we can get guys healthy in the backfield and Paul gets back. It'll be very interesting for sure. Well, the offense must be doing something right because poor Brett Thorson's only gotten to get in on one play for the last two weeks and none at all last week. All right, let's. There you go. <laughs> all right, defense. You know, we were kind of hanging in there as far as points per game of last year, at least. That probably bumped up a little bit against Vandy. I can't believe Vandy's skewing the numbers a little bit, but we gave him a short field on several of those, including one of them at the one yard line. Particularly their final touchdown. Yeah. So. Middle of the line aside, how are you feeling about everything else? On the back end, and I'll include the linebackers as well, mainly the two inside ones, I think our secondary is the backbone of our defense right now. And that's usually not been the case, as we know. Our front seven for years and years has been nasty and consistent as it gets. Quick guys off the edge. Well, as you mentioned about a minute ago, we're seeing that as the opposite this year. And then you have another unit like the secondary come along. I think our safeties are the best safety group in college football and one of the best trios of safeties because we play a star slash nickel, and that's what Tyke mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. One of the best safety trios in the past 10 years of college football, um, probably more than that. And I think Kamari Lassiter has really asserted himself as cornerback one on the team. Um, he started last year as a sophomore and had a good year, but he had a lot of growing and developing to do. So 
he's definitely our number one cornerback. Um, Dalen's doing well. I still think he's got a ton of developing to do. Um, he's very lengthy and quick off his feet, but you know he's only a sophomore, so he's kind of learning like Kamari was last year. Um, I think linebacker-wise, I think Smiles our best linebacker. He just gets in the backfield so much, um, moves side to side well, and can cover too. I think Jamon can improve for his talent and his ceiling. I thought he had a really good year last year and has taken a little bit of a step back to start this year. Well, and I think part of that is when you've got monsters in the middle clogging it up, he was free last year to just run all over the place unencumbered, and this year that's not the case. I love that point. I couldn't be more accurate. And you had Jalen Carter absolutely clogging lanes up last year, so he was free as could be. And Jamon made a lot of tackles last year, and that credit to him. Um, but he's definitely got to pick it up the second half of the season, in my opinion, especially being the leader of the defense because he, he is our Mike linebacker. It's hard to believe in 2021 we had Trevon Walker, or as we say in middle Georgia, Trayvon. We had Devontae Wyatt. We had Jordan Davis. We had Jalen Carter. Am I leaving somebody out? Adam Anderson for a lot, for a half a season. Yeah, but I mean, just just those four guys – it's insane that we had all of those guys rotating in. Where And then you throw in the linebacker trio behind them. All three of those guys got put in the NFL too. Yep. Kobe Dean, Quay Walker, and Channing Tindall. Yeah, absolutely. And Quay, Walk Quay Walker has turned into a sensation for the Packers. He's arguably their best defensive player right now. 100%. And he was almost like a forgotten guy. It was like there were so many stars around him that he almost didn't stand out, you know, to a lot of people. You and I noticed him. But, Could not agree more. But, you know, then then it's like he, he get, really gets noticed in the NFL when he doesn't have, you know, the guys around him that he had at Georgia. It's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Very cool. It really is. I think one thing that people should take heart with is – you know, looking back, okay, 2021, Pickens was out the whole year. Last year, we had, you know, the AD debacle pretty much all year with his high ankle sprain. Then you had Nolan out for the year, you know, I think maybe from the Florida game on. And we just found a way to, to fill in and keep going, and that's why – a special, unique, once-in-a-lifetime guy that Brock Bowers is, I think that we're going to find a way to – I mean, I hate to keep using the cliche, but it, it is what it is. It's next man up, and that's why you recruit at the level we do so that you can have a next man up and not experience the drop-off. Okay, are you going to have some drop-off without Brock Bowers? Yes, because you're not going to be able to run some of those plays. But what you're going to do is you're just going to run different plays that highlight – you know, all of the different talent that we have on offense. And, you know, there's almost not enough balls to go around as is. I couldn't agree more. Um, I think that, like I mentioned about five minutes ago, the run game will start to get better. And I know our depth's got to fill up because of the injuries. But I think that'll really click as long as Dejon stays healthy because we'll get Mims back soon. Um, Van Pran is playing out of his mind right now. He has like a – 
101% uh, success <laughs> rush rate on the line. Um, so our lines, our lines really coming along too. I know we were discussing this on the offensive side specifically. I know we were talking about this a few weeks ago via text. Um, the O line is the key for us because we know how successful Georgia football is when our O line is intact. And I think that without a guy like Brock at tight end being out for what a month to six weeks, that we're really going to rely on the leaders up front to get it done between them and Carson propelling everybody through this whole thing. And I know we'll be able to get it done because we have so much depth and Kirby recruits his butt off year in and year out. And to your point, I mean, look at, uh, was it Monroe Freeling that came in for trust? I mean, he did a great inaugural game. I mean, it wasn't like he didn't look like a freshman. I mean, he's he's there. I mean, it felt like we didn't miss a beat. I know. And he's tall as could be. Um, Monroe, I've heard the thing that makes him unique is his hand usage on the line. So I can't wait to see what that guy does for us at the Great Wall of Georgia. Oh, exactly. I mean, it's just it's it's the upside of these injuries is these young guys getting the, the PT out there to develop. Um, and two years ago, when we lost George Pickens to a knee injury for basically all of the regular season, Guys like A.D., Ladd, had tremendous freshman years. So there you go. There you go. We got to get Ladd healthy. We do. We sure do. That And the thing that sucks with Ladd is back injuries are just about as bad as it gets Mm -hmm. from a human body parts standpoint. I mean, that is just something that you don't want to mess with, especially in football. So um, I know everybody's lifting Ladd up and – we have the best um, ATC staff in the country, led by Mr. Ron Corson and um, his associates under him. So I think that Ladd will eventually be back to full strength. But like we said, the bye week could not be at a better moment right now for our team. Okay. I'm going to ask a dumb question, and I know I'm not the only one thinking this. So it's tell me what that is a dumb question. Yeah, there is. So tell me what a- ATC, what does that stand for? Um, so actually that is a great question. I figured that out a couple weeks ago because I had always wondered, you know, working in athletics, getting to know the industry up here, trying to figure out all these departments and the abbreviations and initials. It means athletic trainer certification or certified, whichever word between those you want to use. Right. That is when, you know, you have your head trainer, obviously in our case, it's Ron Corson. And then you have his associates under him, which ours are Ryan Madalino, Connor, um, Connor Norman, and there's one more. But they have they have three under him, and they do a phenomenal job with the entire roster. I mean, the rehab and the tape that those guys do, and the post practice drills. Um, it's pretty impressive what they've been able to do. I imagine that there is massive amounts of stretching involved. There is. Um, every Thursday during the regular season, we have yoga post-practice. Right. So um, I don't know her name exactly, but she does it professionally. Super nice lady. Um, she's gotten the no coach smart and comes every Thursday to lead the team, you know, around uh, 6 or 630 is when it starts um, post-practice. And they just do it at the indoor turf field um, at the pain facility, um, do it for about 20 minutes. So it's amazing. 
Man, you know, yoga is one of those things that it used to kind of get a bad new agey rap and you just thought, oh, that's just stretching. That's nothing. Now, yoga's hard. Hard as heck. <laughs> it's hard. But it is, puts you in shape like no other. Um, I've read a few articles recently on it um, the past couple months, just like in my regular free time uh, after I've done stuff for work. And it is unbelievable the amount of benefits you get from actually stretching your body like that. And it's because of the timing with yoga and the length from what I've kind of read up on that really makes it so unique. Yeah. Just the stretching and the balancing and using your body's weight against itself. It's for a certain amount of time. And I don't know about you, but I am very inflexible. Uh, <laughs> I'm not inflexible, but I'm not the most flexible. I'm, well, I'm somewhere in between. You go to a yoga class and find out just how inflexible you are. There you so go. Are, are you going to uh, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party? I am not. We have home volleyball matches next Friday and that following Sunday, following uh, the game that Saturday. So I will not be attending, sadly. Um, I was definitely, it was in the works for a few weeks because um, we didn't have any events scheduled, but then I got put on uh, volleyball last week. So I'm just going to be in Athens holding the fort down and cheering on my dogs. How is the uh, how is our volleyball team this year? You know, they have improved the past three to four years, specifically last year when I was strictly under football. So I didn't work any volleyball matches last fall was their best year under coach black, who I think this is his seventh season. Now mm -hmm. his inaugural year was 2016 when we brought him on and they made it to the NCAA tournament last year, won the first round, um, got knocked out in the last set of the second round. So that was definitely a massive improvement and big strides for them this year. We are two and four in conference play. I think overall we're five and 10 somewhere around there right now. So definitely um, this year, not as strong as last year in terms of start and midpoint mid season point, but we're definitely coming along as a program. Those ladies are elite athletes and it's fun to watch them. And, and the thing is, is you lose your perspective because you're watching them and everybody's the same height. They're super tall. Like they're as tall yeah. as basketball players. It's like a, a team of six foot two and taller uh, ladies out there getting after it. They get after it. All right. I mean, it's just like basketball, but you're in that enclosed square and you got to make sure that you don't truck a teammate, <laughs> you know, yeah. that might happen here and there, but you definitely got to watch out for yourself. Um, as far as the girls playing field goes in volleyball. Um, my biggest thing with volleyball that has captured my eyes and fascinated me running these matches and uh, helping out our bosses at these tournaments is the coordination with their eyes tracking the ball. Um, especially, you know, you got to hit it uh, three times and by the fourth hit, that would be a penalty, mm -hmm. and it'd be a point for the other team. So by the third hit, if they have a good setup, they could have a massive spike towards the other team, and they just slam it. And you're like, how do you track that if you're the opponent? You know, I don't. Yeah. So it, it's pretty neat to watch them grind on that. Yeah, and then you think of like Maria Taylor, who did basketball and volleyball. I mean, that's just unbelievable. The flexibility is ingrained in those sports, to say the least. And now she's the queen of football, basically. 
queen of NBC, just running things. What's a fantastic ambassador for the University of Georgia. Heck of an ambassador. Could not be a better leader. I got to meet her one time and it, she was walking down the hallway and it, it had the vibe of like a rock star or a movie star coming down the hallway. Sure. And people were just like, oh my gosh, it's Maria Taylor. And she was so nice. So when I was with football strictly last year in 2022, she was our featured guest speaker for one of the recruiting visit weekends. When nice. We some high school prospects that weekend. Um, it was like mid-June or so. And she just, her energy and passion for the school and passion for athletics in general and having that analyst role now on a world stage, unreal. I mean, if you're a recruit, how do you not just commit on the spot after she gives her talk? I know, in, in the best recruit lounge in the world, too. Right. The West End Zone Football Recruit Lounge. It's yeah. something to behold. So, okay, you've got you've got the locker room in there, and then where is the recruit lounge in relation to that? So the recruit lounge was the top, well, I guess the middle phase of the 2017 renovation project at Sanford. That was Coach Smart's big first project mm-hmm. when he took on the HC position here for the football team. Um, the recruit lounge is in the middle. Um, so you know where the big tunnel is on the home side where we run out in the yep. smoke and stuff? So yep. you have the big G on top and then those outdoor stands. Through those glass doors is where that recruit, recruit lounge sits. And okay. it is a great place for high school players' families to get accustomed to the environment, to the stadium, just to get to know UGA employ- athletics employee or football employees in particular. Um, they're fed two meals during a game. They have TVs in there. Um, really makes them feel like a part of home. And that was probably my favorite. As cool as the locker room is down low, that recruit lounge is probably my favorite part of the entire project from that West End Zone deal. So when a family comes in, they've got their seats, but before the game, they're in the lounge, they're grabbing food, they're watching another game. It's almost like being at a Braves game when you're behind home plate and you have access to all the you know food and drinks and TVs and everything right behind the seats. You sure do. And the only difference is, is it's all indoor since it's a recruit lounge um, and it's considered a premium area. So um, could not be a a better hospitality suite to be in. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. So, so of these last regular season games, which one concerns you the most? So by week, neutral field, cocktail party, Missouri, Ole Miss, Tennessee, Georgia Tech. I would say the top two in a specific order, Tennessee would be one just because it's an away game. Um, And I'm going to, you know, as much as I dislike Tennessee, I'm going to put some respect on their name because they're one of our main rivals. Um, So we need to go prove ourselves in Neyland Stadium that weekend. Um, The other tough one, you know, I want to say Ole Miss but I think it's going to be Missouri because of that offense that they have and their defense is light years ahead of Ole Miss's defense. I think that's what holds Ole Miss back is year in and year out, just not having even an average defense to keep up with, you know, what they have on offense. And Missouri has that better edge in my opinion. I think you just nailed it. And I think it's interesting that those four SEC teams we play at this juncture all still control their own destiny. Isn't that, isn't that wild? Talk about chaos in a college football world. Wow. Yeah, to the point where 
this weekend were pulling for Alabama. Potentially. You know? It might be and, reality. And, and we're very upset at Kentucky for not taking care of business against Missouri. And they just – Kentucky gave up. I thought they had that game won. That I think that fake punt touchdown that Missouri ran just broke their brains, and then after that they just imploded. That's what had to have happened. They were probably brain shocked from a yeah. special teams play. That was executed perfectly. Perfectly. Come out of nowhere. I mean, credits to Missouri. That's hard for wanting to win the game. I mean, you know, trying to throw all the chips out impossible, and it worked. Yeah. Well, Jack, man, I've had just a blast talking to you, my friend. Thank you so much for inviting me on the show. I'm extremely proud of what you're doing with this platform and growing the culture of UJ athletics and Georgia football specifically in particular. Um, I really admire your culture, uh, devotion, and passion for Georgia sports and Georgia football specifically. Well, thanks, man. I tell you, it's um, it's been a happy accident the way this thing has all transpired, and uh, it sure has been a fun ride. And I'm uh, I'm just excited for you, man, and everything you got going on, living up in Athens, just pursuing your passion, and that's what it's all about. Yes, sir. My my dream and goal is to stay up here and continue with facilities and event management and oversee an athletic building one day. So, really praying every day and um, just putting that hard work and effort out in there and hopefully it uh, paves the way for me. So well, I'm not worried about that. I know it will. I appreciate that. All right, my man. Well, until I see you again, go dogs, go dogs. And by popular demand, it is Buffalo. What is up, my man? Hey man, dog. Uh, a little, little somber visit this week. Yeah, I get it. I get it. We gotta. We just gotta push through, man. Yeah, uh, I'm coming to grips with it a little more as the week goes on. Um, tough, a tough one to swallow. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like you go through the classic stages of grief. You know, denial, uh, anger, a couple more, then you finally get to acceptance, and then you gotta kind of end on glass half full, which is. He's not gone for the season because I thought it was an ACL when I first saw that. I was like, ACL, is done. So he's not gone for the season. We still have everything in front of us, and this just in, our team's not so bad. That's right. We got plenty of great players lined up. And, you know, may, I'm sure this has been said a million times, but open up for other people to emerge, maybe gain a little more confidence and realize that, I've got to do this now. I can't rely on him. And when he comes back, I mean, we, we might be, uh, well, we will be a stronger team. And you look at last year, you know, we lost Nolan for the year, Nolan Smith. Yep. We had AD out for most of the year. Mm-hmm. You go to the year before that, and, you know, Pickens was basically out for the whole year. And when we did have him at the very end, he was maybe 75%. So, you know, we've seen this movie before. Kirby knows what to do. He's got the players to do it with. It's not like Delp's a bad option. Um, you know, now these younger guys, Lucky and Sperlin, they're just going to have to step up, grow up, and and learn on the fly. Yeah, I mean, also, I mean, 
under different circumstances, not an injury, you lost Adam Anderson. Uh, That's right. That's well. right. And we're able to overcome all that. Um, Pearson, uh, Lucky, yeah, I, I guess Lucky's going to kind of get a little more than, than Sperling, but uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if we go to more of a one tight end set and try to have, a, have another wide out on the field. Um, which I kind of think we will, but I don't know. You never know. We, like, like you, I think you told me earlier this week, we got two weeks to kind of work with it and find out what we want to do. Yeah, I mean, exactly. That's exactly what I was about to say. You know, the bye week is a perfect time to regroup and figure out, you know, what you want to be without him. Are we going to keep trying to see if we can do those two tight end sets? If so, it's going to be super hard to be as effective as you were. Of course – Never going to be as effective as you were last year with Darnell. You're not no. going to be – I mean, you're not going to be as effective as you were with Brock, but you still may be able to be pretty darn effective with those two. But I'm sure that they've got backup plans for that where, you know, you're in a classic one tight end set with a bunch of wideouts. I mean, it'll, yeah. be, it'll be interesting to see us spread the field. It sure will. And I think the defense – will kind of get a little, uh, you know, they'll, they'll know that they have to pick it up. Uh, you know, our defense has been fine this year, been, been fine. I mean, we've been spoiled, but they're going to have to toe the line a little bit on this too. Yeah, um, they've been really good, not great. But then again, what we're comparing them to is almost not fair. Yeah. Talk about the historic defense of 21, defense last year still – Dang good. And, you know, this year we were good. I mean, you know, Vandy scored 20 points. Yeah, one of those drives started on our one. The other, I believe, was on a short field. The, the bad drive was the beginning of the game on a busted coverage. Yeah, which we've had a couple of those this year. Yeah. A busted coverage, and I think that was Taki who had a great game. What was that one series? He had two tackles and a pick. Yep. Oh, that was their – uh, on a three play, uh, three plays in a row, but I think he busted that one. Uh, we've had a few of those this year, and it's it's the only thing that scares me is when you get, you know, and we, we got to play Florida first. But when you get into Ole Miss and Lane, I, I don't want to confuse people back there and bust twice in a game. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. Sometimes I, you know, I think maybe Chris Smith, Christopher Smith back there would have probably prevented a lot of busted coverages. But, you know, everybody's got to grow up and learn. And uh, I don't have any – our back end is awesome. It is our strength for sure. It is. It, is. it definitely is. Um, hey, my boy Jalen Walker, who I've been – I keep talking about, he got it, had a couple of good pressures. He did. And he had one on that crappy hole they called on us. So, I, I God, I'd like to see him get a little more playing time, but – what a strange game uh, that was. I thought it was weird, and I think Kirby mentioned it was weird to someone. It was kind of a strange game, and I, it, 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 kind of the setting itself lent itself to being a weird 28,000 people with a bunch of cranes and a bunch of circus tents and porta johns and whatever else. Everything about it was weird. My entire family deserted me. I'm in my den alone on my couch, sulking, you know, the whole game at everything that's happened. First, they score first. It's a classic slow start. You know, we're doing things like fumbling snaps so that 
Cedric Van Pran has to pick it up. Yeah, what a play. Look like he's auditioning for running back. Pick it up. Jump somebody and does a spin move for a gain of six. I mean, it was beautiful. That was that was an athletic move right there from a big guy, man. It was. That was I'm, impressive. I've never seen that before. They'll no. show that. Mel Kuyper will show that during the combat when they or during draft day or whatever's going on. They will show that play. Like, look at him. He can even pick the ball up and take off. Need to put him down there in our goal line package. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Dejon, man, he just continues to seem like he's getting better and better each week. I mean, that guy is just a workhorse, and he's got he's, his his running style is just so unique. It's hard to even describe it. He's just so patient and waiting for the holes to open up, but then he he can get through holes and slide through holes that. I don't think anybody else could get through. And then he'll disappear into a pile and then all of a sudden emerge three yards down the field. Yeah, he, he uh, man, he can stop and change positions on someone. And you, gosh, you wonder his legs, I don't know what kind of knees and all he has, but they're incredible because he can, he, he does acrobatic things really with his body. And, and he really makes, he's made a ton of people miss this year. There was one play to your point in particular where he was running downfield and he just came to a complete stop. I, I, let the guy go by him. The, the announcers were amazed. They're like, you don't understand this. What he just did there is next to impossible. Yeah. Instant breaks and then crank it right back up again. It's, it's, it's a sight to see, man. He's really Kendall looked great the first half and then hopefully he's okay. I mean, I know he had some kind of left leg. I don't know. They had it in a brace. I'd like to see both of them running, you know, with his full steam now. I mean. I want to see him without a brace. I do have to give it to Kendall Milton for that. The way he stretched out a half an inch above the ground on the play they reviewed to give us a first down on, yeah. that, on that fourth down play. He came to play. I mean, he was looking great. Yeah. It was reminding me back of his freshman year when he was running all over the place. So he, he, uh, if he can get healthy, stay healthy. I think the coaches have said, if you feel anything, if you feel a, the, the slightest hint of a twinge, you tell us and you're coming out. Really? Okay. Because, well, that, that because on the sideline, you know, his, his body language and his demeanor said, hey, I'm fine. You know, either he's on a pitch count or what I just said. Yeah, I think I think you're probably right. That's a good. I never thought of it that way, but that's 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 a good way to think of it because you don't want him to go on to be out, you know, until well for the rest of the year because he he does seem to get hurt. But man, he's he's tough when he when he can play. Yeah, and that's probably you know that's what they're saving him for is this like we got to have him healthy for the end. And and I don't know if you've ever seen this guy online, but Doctor Sec, you know, he made that was one of the points he made. He said, you know, Kirby is going to err on the side of letting injured players take more time than they need so that he has them down the home stretch. Yeah, which he did last year with AD, and, you know, that paid off. Yeah. Time. And, and Pickens, too. Hey, speaking of AD, can I, can I mention a, a name brand here? Like, am I allowed to say a brand of something or not? Of course you are. It's a potential, okay. a potential future endorsement. Okay. Well, AD at Texas, 
I want everyone to realize that Tito's Vodka donated $20 million to Texas and they built a they're going to build a practice facility and all this stuff. So I know everyone out there that drinks vodka probably likes Tito's. There's a new vodka now, Hunker Vodka. We need to go to that. Okay, so you Do you not just support your rival. We were going we're going over there to play them next year. You want to keep drinking Tito's? Huh? Well, you are aware that they are a big supporter of the Classic City Collective, and so those guys are really yes. pumping up. Okay, the hunker down vodka. So, uh, Stephen Farmer at Classic City Collective will be thrilled that you brought that up um, all on your own. Yeah, let's. Have you sampled the hunker down vodka? I have not. My brother-in-law bought some. He was in town two weeks ago, and he sent me a picture of it. I want some. Uh, I'm gonna. I've been banging up all the liquor stores around here. Hopefully they get it in pretty soon. Well, I'll tell you what, Macon is a vodka town. People swill that stuff like it's <laughs> no, Diet no, Coke. Oh no. yeah, this is a vodka town. You'd think we were a bunch of Russians. Um, so since I've put that down, I'll have to ask maybe, you know, my brother, give him a blind taste test to see if he can tell, you know, I'll, I'll slip some hunker down into his transfusion and see if his delicate vodka palate can detect it. Yeah, well, unbeknownst to me, I've been supporting the horns for a while, but I'm done. Done. Tito's is out. Only, man. I'm done. Tito's no mods. I'm still trying to, to work a, a sponsorship with Budweiser Zero. Um, I figure since since they got in trouble with Bud Light for somebody who was not authorized to endorse it, I, I being the positive role model that I am, <laughs> could tell people, that Budweiser Zero has all the great taste of Budweiser with none of that pesky alcohol to slow you down. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think they need to jump on board with you. Budweiser Zero, delicious. <laughs> it's got that beer taste after you mow the lawn. And, and there's so many times where it's, it's uh, applicable. Say, you know, you've got a runaway buzz and you're out at a bar and you want us to keep drinking beer. But you got to tap the brakes. That's when you introduce the Budweiser Zero to, exactly. to put the brakes on that buzz. Or say, you know, you're out with the guys after work and, you know, you got a big day tomorrow. You want you want that, you know, crisp, clean Budweiser taste, but you still got to drive home. That's when you're drinking Budweiser Zero. That's right. You don't want to wake up sleepy and red-eyed. Exactly. When you've got to be crisp and clean the next morning, you drink crisp and clean the night before. Budweiser Zero. There we go. It's kind of like a Coors Cutter that I don't think really took off. Remember the Coors Cutter? <laughs> no. That was a non-alcoholic Coors version called Coors Cutter. Coors, I'm not familiar with the Cutter. Well, they had it. I, I think they gave up on it. They gave up on it. Well, hey, I tell you what, I, I was glad to see when we got Monroe, unfortunately when Xavier got hurt, I was glad to see Monroe Freeling come in. I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't know much about him. I was I was hoping he didn't play like you remember the show Too Close for Comfort? <laughs> remember the guy that lived in the basement named Monroe? Played by Jim J. Bullock. <laughs> no. He's the biggest sissy you've ever seen in your life. And I was worried. I was like, I don't know, man. Monroe. I don't know about that. Man, he, he does not play like Monroe from Too Close for Comfort. Okay. Breaking news from Mark Slayball. He confirmed that you were correct. It was the spin doctors. I knew it. So now, now we'll have to have Slayball on before you for this to all make sense. 
I was like, he's got to be talking because I saw them too one time way back when. I don't know where. It was probably on the Horde tour. It, you, uh, I think you're right. I'm looking. Terrible. I'm looking for my roster right now so that I can find uh, Monroe Freeling because I think he's a like a six foot seven beast. Six seven three twenty five. Yeah, and I think he's friends with uh, uh, Bert's son. Okay, really? He went to what Ocean Side down there in Charleston. Let's see. What number is he? Oh, there he is. Fifty seven. Fifty seven. Isle of Palms, South Carolina, Oceanside Collegiate. Yeah. Is that where Bert's son goes? I don't know if Bert's son goes or went there, but I think someone – I don't know. Maybe I lost track. It was during the game, and one of those guys from down there, because I'm on a text thread with some of those Charleston fellas, I thought Bert – I thought it was Bert. Mm-hmm. We'll have to find out. Knows him or something or is friends with him. He did a good job, man. He did a great job pass blocking. And it was a good game to come in against Vanderbilt, who's, you know, probably not, you know, one guy's pretty good on there. But, I mean, it's not like he's going up against a gang of fire breathers uh, to kind of get his, you know, get a little taste. Yeah, I mean, he was getting reps in a real game, and it wasn't like it was trash time. And he stepped hey man, up. He, yeah, yeah. He, may, he may be – Jacksonville, he may be there too. Yeah, I don't have any word on uh, on trust. It's kind of like anybody that got injured, for, forget them. All people want to talk about is Brock Bowers, but I think trust had a, the dreaded high ankle sprain. Yeah, he sure did. And and by the way, Snetzer is not joining us this week. He's not hiding his head Stiffen. in shame. He's no. Or I, I I was gonna try and blame him, but I, doggone it, I can't do it. He is on assignment researching. The controversy, because there is some controversy in the orthopedic world of the tightrope procedure, uh, and we'll be coming back next week with visual aids yet again. Well, I heard, and I'm just is just from a. How many times have people said I'm not a doctor, but anyway, I heard Lehman <laughs> stuff that your ankle's stronger afterwards than it was as God gave it to you but you could be more susceptible to fracture. Maybe that's what he'll go into. He, he, I don't want to steal his thunder, but that and more. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I, I got nothing on trust. Um, who else got hurt? I heard that lad re-injured his back and that's why he didn't play in the second half. I did not hear that. I don't know. That's be awful. Well, I mean, he'd have a full two weeks to rest it up again. And I don't know if he's still in that same protocol where he – does he practice? I don't know. I don't – he's got to practice some or he probably wouldn't play him, right? Isn't that his hard and fast rule? But I don't know. Maybe he gets an exemption because he's so good. But yeah, this is seven weeks. Then it would be eight, nine, nine weeks of this. It feels like to me if he is – and then feel good. It doesn't feel like other teams get tortured by injuries like we do. Well, we have this year. I mean, we've we've cranked it, but we're not we're, we're like our you know some of our fans to the west of us who talked about a specific injury one January night, and our friends the the uh, the old Buckeye chin nuts. Yes. See, we're not, I mean, we're just going to go on 
And if we lose, we lose. We lost to a better team if we lose. I'm not going to make excuses. Yeah. But everybody wants to point out their injuries, but they don't want to acknowledge ours. Exactly. I mean. That's, that's what losers do. <laughs> and that's what we're not. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. Are we are we ready to bring on Dogger? Yeah, I had a tough week last week, but yeah, let's bring him on. Dogger. I don't know why y'all are talking about y'all are having a bad week. Y'all both whipped up on me. So uh from a gambling perspective. So uh I think the guy you're didn't Milton get uh, banged up just offside of or outside of gambling? Nah, it was precautionary. Okay. Right? So All that right. leads to Mad Dog's point of if you feel any little out of the ordinary, let's just shut her down. And yeah, if fair enough. Played, I mean, if we were to have been playing, you know, whoever in a tight situation, he, I think he could have kept on. So have uh, I brought from- up before that one last thing, Craig, before we get, have I told y'all before that I've heard that uh, sick is a code word for concussion? Did I bring that yes. up earlier? Mm-hmm. Okay. Just want to make sure. It seems like we've had a lot of players get sick. They're being very conservative. So what you got, Dogger? All right. So uh so always good to be on here, Mad Dog. It's always fun. The um Vegas, from what I understand, they had their best weekend out of probably the top five best weekend gambling wise. Uh, I know it's not a college show, but uh, or excuse me, not an NFL show, but uh, the totals in the NFL went. There were twelve unders and two overs, so they went bonkers. And then a lot of favorites did not cover in the college. So um, I think Vegas is celebrating. A lot of people that went out to Vegas. Not sure if we know anybody that went out there. I know that uh, on my shows that I do, it was a little bit of a struggle. Uh, both uh, both you and the Bobber did well this past weekend. Um, so the season standings are the uh, Bobber is at six four and one, Mad Dogs at six four and one, and I am at four six and one. Uh, so we still need to determine what I'm going to wear if I end up in last place. I mean, you have to show your face if you end up in last place. Uh, hopefully not on air. I will on on Athens campus on Georgia campus. I will maybe in a in an outfit of some sort. Maybe you put on that Elvis costume. You just, <laughs> 1989. That was, uh, that wasn't Elvis. That was, uh, well, Lou, I thought it was starting out. It's supposed to be Elvis. And then it kind of morphed into Roy Orbison. Roy Orbison. That's exactly what it was. Yes. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I bought that thing two hours before the, the party. Yeah. Elvis and Roy Orbison. <laughs> the I traveling Wilburys were rocking. <laughs> the daughter was signing autographs. They thought it was. Roy. It was. Uh, I don't know what what I did. It was. Uh, it was a very popular costume amongst the women. Oh, hey, <laughs> All right. <laughs> must be your sweet singing voice. It must be your those sunglasses or yeah, what I what I had on. The young ones had an Elvis fetish, and the old ones had a <laughs> fetish. 
All right. So, uh, so the dogs didn't cover again. Unfortunately, they're uh, they continue to win, which is always that's always a good thing. W is a W. Uh, they went under again. So overall, they um, they've only had one cover and one over. Um, but this week we have Ohio State against Penn State. Still can't believe that's a twelve o'clock game, but it is what it is to get more people in there. Um, so Ohio State is minus four. And it's my pick first this week. I'm going to go Penn State minus four to cover the spread, but Ohio State. No, yeah, Penn State to cover the spread and Ohio State to win the game. I think that comes down to a field goal late. Okay. Bob, are you or me? You. Okay, I'm going to go uh, Penn State to cover and win. All right. Uh, and then the next one is Alabama. Wait, I haven't picked yet. Oh, I'm sorry, Bobber. <laughs> first thing I want to say is I'm sitting right now in D-Dub. The first thing I want to say about do you realize in our last 10 seasons, the week before the bye, we're now one and nine against the spread. Mm, I did not know that. that, it was that much. So next year, think about that. I'm going to take Penn State to win. And of course, cover. I'm on board with uh, Mad Dog. With Mad Dog. All right. Uh, next one is Alabama at 3 30 p.m. Alabama versus Tennessee. Alabama is minus nine. I'm going to go Tennessee plus the nine, but Alabama to, um, to win the game. I, before I make my pick, I just want to point out the implications of a Penn State win. At Ohio State. I mean, Lou Holtz is just going to put Ryan Day on blast. And it's going to be fun to watch. Okay, with that said, I'm going to take uh, Alabama to win and cover. Okay. The bobber. Minus not okay. I'm going to take the same thing as Mad Dog. I'm going to go wow. Alabama. So the daughter could be making her a little bit of a run here. Mm-hmm. Well, you need to. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, Missouri is minus seven against South Carolina. I will go South Carolina to cover and South Carolina to win. There's just a, way too much hype. I was borrowing a buddy's truck because my wife's truck was in the in the shop. Uh, and listen to 93.1 for the first time. I just was tired of hearing about Missouri being as hyped as they are. Yeah, this game has gotten a lot of attention and a lot of talk, and the line's weird. And yeah. it's you, you would think on the surface, okay, South Carolina's ready to quit. But for some reason, the line's only seven. And so, you know me, I pick with my heart. So I'm going the Cox to win and cover. Woohoo! All right. This game's at Missouri? Yes. Yes. All right. I'm going to take Missouri both ways. And, well, they have to be if, because they're minus seven. But, you know, Beamer broke his foot kicking something uh, <laughs> after the Florida line. You know, he has a broken foot. Yeah. I did see something about that. I, I, I don't yeah. know. This guy's crazy. So, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with Luther Burden and, and the Mizzou Tigers all the way through. 
All right. So Bobber is against Mad Dog and, and the Dogger. Uh, the next one we have, I think this is going to be an interesting game. Ole Miss is at Auburn, and Ole Miss is minus six and a half. And I just uh, – another thing that people are already projecting, if, if Georgia – continues going on through that that game against Ole Miss is going to be like the game of the century type deal. I yep. just, I don't see Lane Kiffin keeping them through. So I'm going to go Auburn and Auburn. Wow. That does have the intrigue of, you know, freeze playing his old school for the first time. Yep. And it's at Auburn. It is. But <laughs> I'm going Ole Miss to win and cover. All right. I have to. The balance attack of Ole Miss. They got the running game. They can throw it. They got a mobile quarterback. I'm, I'm going with both of them. Ole Miss. You know, are not giving any respect to Auburn, which is not deserved after the uh, after the loss last week, LSU. That was brutal. Yeah. Um, all right. The next one is Florida State uh, versus Duke. That line, it's at 7.30 p.m., and that is 14. I am going to go in a low-scoring game. I'm going to go Duke to cover and Florida State to win. And Duke's quarterback is trying to come back from his high ankle sprain, and I That's guess right. he's, is he questionable? or is he- Last I saw he was, yeah. Is Duke, what, I don't even know what they've done. Are they just one loss? Didn't they? Yes. Isn't that right? I think that's right. They lost to um, – they didn't lose to North Carolina yet, have they? No. They, no. Yeah. They lost to Notre's Dames. And <laughs> Notre Dame. I don't think – they didn't lose last week, did they? No. No. I can pull it up while y'all are picking. I'll pull I, it up. It's, is it at FSU? It is. What time to kick off? It is at 7.30. Uh, I'm going to go with my heart because that's what I do. And I'm going to say Duke to win and cover. Nice. I like Duke it. wins. All right. Wait, no, 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 no. I'm backing off. <laughs> oh, uh, Duke, Duke to cover Florida State to win. Okay. I'm going to go uh, – I'm going to go the same thing. I think Florida State wins, Duke's covers. All right. Uh, Duke, yep, Duke gets FSU. All right. Then we, the last one is the only – so there are only three games that were uh, versus two top 25 teams. So you had Ohio State, Penn State, Alabama, Tennessee, and then um, USC, Utah. So last one of those three is USC, Utah – USC coming off the absolute thrashing by the Irish. USC is minus six and a half at USC, and that game is at eight o'clock. I am going to go Utah and Utah to win. And it's is it at Utah or USC? I couldn't hear you. Uh, it is USC is favored by six and a half, and it's at USC against Utah. Utah to win and cover. That's what I'm doing, yes. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. All right, I got the Trojans to win and Utah to cover. All right. So, USC, Utah. 
There you go. So uh, somebody needs to figure out what this last last person or last place team is gonna gonna have to do. Mad Dog, you figure that out, or get Park to figure it out. I tell you what, we do. We do something crazy. Let's bring Bert in right now to tell us. <laughs> Bert, oh, Bert, can you hear oh, us? Goodness. I was just doing some research. I wasn't ready for this. <laughs> we want you to tell us what the penalty is for coming in last place in this little uh, betterama we got going. Oh my goodness. Um, so, I love this. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, my son, Henry does a fantasy football thing every year. And um, the, they have of course an award for first place, but last place has to go to the waffle house and eat a waffle every hour for 24 hours. <laughs> that that results in an untimely death. I'm already I'm already fat enough, Bert. That'd, that'd be hard to do. So, I mean, I, drink, I drink a beer in between. <laughs> you can do. You got an hour, so you can do anything you need to. You just got to be back for that next waffle in an hour. Is purging allowed? Can you go to the bathroom and purge? No, you can't throw up. You got to keep it down or you have to eat that waffle again. I think, you, I think you'd be on Ozempic after that. <laughs> I've got I've got so many questions, none of which are suitable to ask. <laughs> Ozempic would really make that a challenge, though, wouldn't it? Because apparently that keeps you from being hungry. Well, I think after you ate all those waffles, I think you go into the diabetic range. Yeah. Be afflicted with the sugar. Okay, how about this? We need an we need an age appropriate uh, last place prize because one of the, that might kill one of us. All right, what have y'all come up with so far? I wasn't even listening to you. Um, yeah, well, I don't have anything. Craig was going to wear. Craig was going to dress up as Roy Orbison and go around the streets of that. And then I talked about Philip Fulmer. I'm dressing up as a something. Uh, dressing up as him. As a big <laughs> way back when. <laughs> what about you dress up as Elvis and you panhandle outside the gates of Tech Stadium or Hyundai Stadium? Well, I mean, why are we assuming that I'm going to come in last place? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Bert needs to think about this for a week and come back with his decision next week before the Gators. There we well, go. There we so go. So where's it stand right now? Who who's in the lead? Who's in who's in last? Well, ironically, well, Dogger's in last. Yeah, that, yeah. My my purpose of being on this show is to give good picks, Bert. So obviously, I'm not doing a very good job, but I'm four six and one. Yeah, four, six, and uh, and uh, Mad Dog and and Bobber are six four and two. See, I think what you're doing is you're spreading yourself a little too thin here, and I want you to go all in on one pick. Like, you look at this line, this one line this week, and you're like, we got to go out well, pushing all the chips in. So just like they do on ESPN some days, you, you can double down. If you really like that dog, mm-hmm. you, you can throw in, and if you lose, obviously you lose double, but, but you can make it up quickly. So you yeah. just triple dog it, you can double dog it. I like that idea. Yeah. Yeah, that's very, that's in, very intriguing. It is yeah. very intriguing. I, I think Bert needs to come back to bring that yellow uh, truck that he drove us to Georgia, Florida next week. <laughs> 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 All 
Chuck's cousins from Waycross. <laughs> That's what we had on the side of that thing in shoe polish. Chuck's cousins from Waycross. That's right. That's right. I, I talked to Chris Neal about that story last night. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Well, uh, I think it's time to give Bert the floor. All right. But I would like to say thank you to Buffalo and Dogger, as always, for your witty banter. Hey, real quick, can I throw in one thing, please? Yes. Yes. I'm going to have dinner uh, tomorrow night with uh, Mr. Withers and Keller and David. Yep. Just want to throw that in real fast. Mr. Withers, obviously, it was great friends with uh, with Lauren and used to be with Larry. Uh, used to be a spotter for them. So he's a big fan of the show. I, I just want to mention his name because I know he'll be watching and uh, looking forward to that tomorrow night. Yeah, man. Tell him thanks so much and keep spreading the propaganda. You got it. All right. Have fun, dogger. All right. See you, ma'am. All right. Bye. See you, Buffalo. All right. All right. The floor is yours. We made it exactly one week into Brocktober before we had to hold our Brocktober vigil. Should we go ahead and start out our segment with that? Well, it's still Brocktober in our hearts. He's not on the field, but, you know, it, it, it's a Brocktober recovery. Yeah, it is. It is. It's, um, you know, it, it, Kirby likes adversity. He likes, um, you know, when the team has some things go against it and we kind of have to fight against the narrative and uh, it's out there now. Yeah, I mean, it's time for Kirby to flex, you know, show everybody why he's the highest paid coach. Maybe not. I mean, he's still Saban gets a bump every time Kirby passes him. Yeah, he he's in the top three now. I think it's I think it's Saban, Dabo, Kirby. I okay. think is our top three. Yeah, but you know this is where he earns the big bucks. It's figuring out how to replace the most irreplaceable player in college football. Is it? Yeah, I know. And you know, I think that, like he said in that press conference. Um, it's not a matter of just, you know, replacing him. It's a matter of, you know, taking all the other pieces and hopefully we get a lot of pieces back next week and uh, putting those together so that um, they form some semblance of replacing him. Yeah. I mean, you just got to shuffle the deck and, and, you know, I'm not worried about Bobo being able to come up with a game plan with two weeks to do it. And it also adds kind of a, a big X factory, X factor mystery factor for Florida. Cause now they can't use our tendencies with Brock Bowers at all. That all goes out the window. They can't. Yeah, I know. It, it's, it's a shame that we're not going to see Brock against Florida though, again, because that, um, it, that play last year was really the play of the year. The, um, the reception for a touchdown and it, it drove a dagger through their chances to come back in that game. And um, it's a shame he won't get another shot, but Hey, we raised that 9.2 million and I think he'll be back for, uh, for year four. Right. I mean, we just need you to start and lead the campaign and I think it'll catch fire. A hundred bucks per seat. You know, I mean, what fan of Georgia football that pays for season tickets sitting willing to pony up, $100 to see Brock Bowers for another year. I keep trying to find the downside to that. And I think I need an NFL rookie contract expert to tell me why that wouldn't work. 
Yeah. Uh, obviously, there's got to be some Lloyds of London money in there to buy, you know, a full body life insurance policy for a hundred million dollars. Yeah, that, that might be what kills it because that can't be cheap. It's going to have to be at least a million of that right there. Right. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, that's a good question because, all right, let's say instead of first year NFL contract, he gets 9.2 from Georgia plus whatever other sponsorship advertising money. Does that set him back then when he goes to the NFL as far as how his contract structured then? I mean, I don't know how that works. Well, you got to look at too the lost opportunity for the the year that he could have gotten all those big endorsement deals at a pro level. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, Your idea has merit. I'm I'm, I'm playing right. devil's advocate. I'm trying to figure out how to get us there. <laughs> we just got to promote it. I mean, you got a you got a big megaphone now, so uh, <laughs> let, let's get out there and promote it. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's jump to our our favorite stat for the week. Um, it yeah, this was an interesting week because the if you looked at the Georgia Vandy score and then you looked at the Georgia Vandy stats, there was just a complete disconnect there. And um, yeah, I think one of the things was, and we talked about this last week, is that you know if we throw a pick six then you know that changes the dynamic of the game and we basically did mm -hmm. you know carson stopped him on the one and then they scored i think on the next play but um we outgained them for the game by i want to say 330 yards i mean it was i want to i think it was 550 to 220 basically in in yardage which was the most yards Vandy's given up this year to a team and the least yards they've gained on a team this year. Um, and it was the biggest net yards that we've had in a game except for Kentucky. So statistically, we dominated that game in every single way except the scoreboard. Um, and so, you know, looking at net yards per play for the week in the SEC, we – are uh, we're the only team above two now? We're at two point seven four. Uh, Tennessee got bumped back um, with the um, game against Texas A&M, so they're at one point eight nine. Uh, Ole Miss is at one point eight six, and LSU is at one point four seven. Bama is all the way at one point four five and fifth, and then um, a lot of teams mid pack: Missouri, Texas A&M, Kentucky, Florida. Florida's at 0.46, which portends well for us next week. Um, we're at 2.74. Florida's at 0.46. I think it was um, statistically even with uh, Florida's yards per play with South Carolina, and we were plus two versus South Carolina. So um, that looks good for us there. This stat has to go into the calculus of how they set lines out in Vegas. I mean, it has to. It does. So um, I was looking at this earlier, and we talked about this last year. This is um, Bill Connolly with ESPN. He does ESPN Plus stuff, but he does that SP Plus stat. Right. And, um, and we talked about that a little bit last year. And this stat factors into that SP Plus and if you look at the lines for the games and Bill Connolly's SP plus, 
they're usually within two or three points of each other because he factors in who's got home field advantage, who doesn't. Um, but he just takes that SP plus number and if you take like Georgia's and then you take Florida's and you subtract those two. And like for us in that game, because it's on a neutral field, there's no adjusting there. And so our line on that game, and I think my son told me the line, I think it was what, maybe 14, 16. I don't know. Did y'all talk about it with Dogger? No, the, well, the first line I saw was like 23 and a half. Then Bowers, oh, then wow. Bowers got hurt, and I saw it come down to twenty, and then I think from there okay. it's, I saw it had come down to seventeen. But it's okay. obviously it's yeah. steadily moving down, right? Um, yeah. So Bowers obviously has an impact, but it should be pretty close to that SP plus number. So you're right, net yards per play huge factor in that, and then they kind of set the lines based upon that that disparity between the two. Let me ask you this. What is the net yards per play of Missouri, and what is it for South Carolina right now? Missouri is at 1.3 net yards per play. And who was the other one, South Carolina? Yeah. Uh, they are exactly even, 0.02. Okay. Yeah. So Missouri is favored in that game, and I think they're favored by what, a touchdown? Yeah, that's it. That Seems like it should be more. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, I would, if, if I was betting just based upon net yards per play, I'd put it on Missouri there. What well, it's at home at Missouri. So they're already getting three points for that. And then, um, you know, they're coming in with a net yards per play of 1.3 higher than South Carolina. So for what? South Carolina is just it, – it's such a bizarre team. And watching the end of that game last week with Florida, I mean, it's like a team that just finds ways to lose. Yeah. And the, the X factor is, okay, does does Rattler just have that week where he just is lights out, can't miss, and their defense halfway shows up? Yeah, that's the thing because their defense has not shown up at all. And it's kind of regressed as the year has gone on. Um, let's see, they're giving up on defense, they're giving up 6.16 yards per play, which is only the only team worse than that is LSU, which we've talked about their horrible defense, 6.44, and Vandy at 6.23. So um, they're at the bottom of the pack on D, and it, it's kind of slid every week. Do you have national numbers on that? I don't. I didn't look up the national net yards per play this week. Um, we'll uh, we'll circle back to it next yeah, week. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be much more meaningful next week after you know you have the Ohio State and Penn State game to digest and some of those mm -hmm. other big matchups because you know uh, Penn State has got gaudy defensive numbers. Their defensive numbers are really gaudy. You know, we talked about that that kind of sweet spot in yards per play, seven on offense, four on defense. They are down in the 3.7 range, I think, on D. So something's got to give. Ohio State's got a pretty good offense. So we gotta we'll see how that plays out. Is it in Columbus or is that in Happy it's Valley? In the shoe, they're having their uh Scarlet the Shoe, where they all wear their scarlet outfits, which is just the lamest thing I've ever heard. Uh, I mean, call it red. Don't call the color scarlet. I mean, that's just 
whatever. Um, and I'm just thinking Penn State's going to come in there at noon and say, we don't care. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that line was really close. You talk about that with Dahmer? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, what is it? Four, four and four, a half? Yeah. 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 Um, man, I can't wait to watch that game. I, I, I know who you'll be rooting for. And I'd love to see, since all these teams play each other, let's just watch them all. But, you know, it's usually the SEC that's doing the beating up on each other. So let's let's watch the Big Ten do that. Yeah, and I think we talked about it last week. I, I want to know the tiebreaker, if it's kind of the round robin of Michigan beats Ohio State, beats Penn State, beats Michigan. I don't yeah, know what I don't right. know what the criteria for that tiebreaker is, but the winner gets to play somebody crappy on the other side, like Iowa, who only scores eleven points a game. Right? Yeah, we, I, I the SEC. I can't remember a scenario where we've had a three-team tiebreak. Have we been involved in a three-team tiebreak? I, I don't think so. But you know, yeah. this is you know all on that one side of the division, but. I'm glad you brought that up because I even asked Paul Feinbaum this. I said, Paul, when we collapse to one division next year, you're going to have a lot of teams out there maybe with two losses uh, trying to be the other team to play somebody that's undefeated or with one loss. What is the criteria going to be to determine who wins the tiebreaker? Mm -hmm. Paul says he doesn't even think it's been established yet. Yeah, wow. Yeah, you know, the, the thing that Kirby's always focused on, this is going to be interesting when we get to the 12-team playoff, is he's all about just winning the game and improving because he knows that ultimately, right now at least, the, the most important thing that they're looking at is did you win the game? What is your win-loss record? And, you know, as much as Saban moaned about that last year and said, hey, you know, we would be favored against so-and-so, it doesn't matter because that's not what they look at. They look at wins and losses. And Kirby knows that, and that's what we play to. Well, if we get in down to a situation where it's a beauty contest, and you know, we've talked about the nightmare scenario of four undefeated teams and us with one loss, that's when we're going to need you to step up. And I'll, you can use this as your megaphone to talk about mm -hmm. net yards per play and that that's the acid test for how good a team really is. The ultimate deciding factor right there. Let's just look at those top four. Who's in the top four in net yards per exactly. play? Because ultimately those are the teams that will probably battle it out the best in the playoffs. And like we said with TCU last year, they didn't deserve to be there. They they barely got by like four or five teams, and you know we saw it in the playoffs. What was, what was the difference net yards per play between us and TCU last year? I can't remember. It was over one. So we were at, I think, around 2.6 going into the national mm -hmm. championship, and they were at 1.6, yeah. which was super low, one of the lowest. And that represented a 58-point differential. <laughs> exactly. And it played out on the field, which makes the game they played with Michigan even more baffling. Yeah. And I'm starting to think that Michigan is like the Atlanta Braves of the playoffs. <laughs> Oh, man, they're not that good. <laughs> <laughs> well, they collapse in the playoffs, and, and the Braves tend to do that, too. Well, so. Two years ago, they won it all. Exactly, yeah. I mean, at least they have won. When's Michigan's last national championship? Not this millennium, was it? Mm, I don't think so. Uh, it's a tough – that's a tough question. Because, yeah. I mean – 
You know that, I mean, Bo Schimbeckler didn't even win one. I think that the coach after Bo Schimbeckler, maybe he won one, but I, it, it's been a long time. I mean, they were off the radar for a long time, but, yeah, they they think they're big time. If they're part of their practice is to beat us, then they're obviously expecting to be there. At the yep, end. I'm looking it up now, but while I'm doing that, a question came up when Buffalo was on about uh, Monroe Freeling. Yes. You have some connection to him, right? Yeah, he lives here in Charleston. He's actually um, – he played co- uh, high school at Oceanside, um, which is just down the road from me here. And my son's a senior in high school, and he knows Monroe and um, has a lot of friends that are good friends with him. And um, – Monroe dominated high school football. We Kirby doesn't go into South Carolina and, and get anybody unless they're superstars. And Monroe was a superstar uh, at Oceanside. And I did not know that he was moving up the depth chart as fast as he was until he popped into the game to replace trust. Yeah. I mean, six, seven, three twenty-five, And he went out there as a true mm-hmm. freshman and it was like, nobody noticed. And that mean that in Kirby, a good way. We didn't take a step backwards. Right, exactly. I know Kirby um, had some nice things to say about him after the game. And, I mean, man, that's so promising. If we can get a true freshman in there on the line that can hold his own, um, you know, that's, that's a guy that's going to be around for a while. Absolutely. I mean, he couldn't have – I mean, how needed is that guy? I mean, he was crucial to have him available to step into that crucial position. Oh, I know. I mean, you think about it, with Mims out and then Truss out, Van Pran's been banged up. I mean, man, I mean, you know, every year we're we're banged up at this time of year, but I think I counted maybe seven starters that we had out at one point um, during that game. And, I mean, that, that seems like it's the most we've had in a it while. It does. It definitely does. Okay, I found it. Last Michigan national title was 1997. How about that? Working on, working yeah, on 30 so, years. Yes, right. They're, they're about in Georgia territory. So that must have been when they had Desmond Howard winning the Heisman. Late 90s. Yeah. Yeah, Desmond. Must well, and they definitely now. had uh, Charles Woodson. Oh, right. Yes, because late 97, was that the year that he won the Heisman instead of uh, Peyton Manning? Correct. Yeah. So they won it all that yep. year. Yeah. Tennessee people are make- still sore about that. Oh, they're still bent about it. Yeah, I lived in Knoxville at the time. I that was I was watching the Heisman Trophy celebration with a bunch of Tennessee fans, and I couldn't contain my joy. <laughs> I mean, were they throwing their TV out the door? Oh, they just went belligerent. Yeah, I mean, they're still bent about it. Yeah, I don't remember the specifics about it, but I think there were some – some sort of very successful campaign was started for Woodson. Clearly. Yeah. And you know what it was? Cause he, he played defense, but he also returned punts. He was a good punt returner. And I think maybe they stuck him in on offense every now and then. So he was kind of the Swiss army knife type of player. And, you know, Eric, Every so often, you know, they, the press just latches on to a guy that they just want to see win the Heisman. 
And to your point, it really felt like that's what was happening for Brock before this happened. He was getting traction. People were finally wrapping their head around the fact that a tight end could win it because of how special he was. And, uh, you know, sadly, that's that's probably not to be. Although I did make the case to several people, if if the Heisman is supposed to represent the best player in the country slash the one who is most important to their team's success – if Georgia were to now dip in this in meat of the schedule and lose a couple mm-hmm. of games, wouldn't that just prove the point even more of how critical he was to the team's success? I mean, I know that would never happen, but yeah, you, you take Brock Bowers and you plug him on any team, and he's going to add he's yeah. going to add three wins. Yeah, I know. Well, you could make that same case with Caleb Williams too, but they, um, you know, they they tend to reward the teams that are there at the end. And if you're not there at the end, then you're. I mean, look at the Heisman Trophy, the, the award ceremony last year. So we had Stetson, we had uh, Duggan, we had Stroud. Um, Stroud, and who who else was there? Oh, Caleb yeah. Williams, of course. Yeah, so Caleb Williams was the only one that wasn't in the playoff, and they barely missed it. So, yeah, I mean, it it, it tends to reward the the guys on teams that that make it. But you know, what'll be interesting to see how this plays out with Brock. And you know, I mean, you've seen that guy grind for three years. You know that he is going to grind as hard as he can to get back as soon as he can. And if we can just kind of navigate these next few games, um, you know, it, it would make for such a great story if he can come back and just dom- just dominate once he comes back and lead us back through. If I woke up a week from Friday and the headline was breaking news, Brock Bauer sets the record for the fastest recovery from tightrope surgery ever and is probable for the Georgia-Florida game, I'd say, okay. Okay, I believe it. <laughs> Brock Bowers, Brock Bowers is the only yeah. take. Some people take four to yeah. six weeks on that surgery. He takes one to two. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, man, when I saw him pound the turf, you know, that was when I knew because, you, you know, you, I always kind of hold my breath when he's running the ball. I'm just like, just don't get hurt. You know, just don't get hurt. Don't get hurt. And then when he went down, it's like, ah. Uh, but then when he pounded the turf, it's like, okay, you know, if, if Bowers is reacting this way, then he knows something's wrong. Exactly. Yeah. But it could make a great story if, if we can get through this. And, you know, ESPN has that um, that predictor on percentage, you know, chances to yeah. win the next few games. Florida and Missouri, I want to say we're in the upper 88, 89% on both of those games. Um, Which is weird. And if you look, I mean, Missouri is, Missouri scares me. I mean, they all, yeah. Yeah. I I think part of that is our home record, our, our home crowd plays a big role now. You know, they saw um, Kentucky come in and what happened to Kentucky. And, you know, Kentucky hung with Missouri for a while. Um, so I, I think that plays into it. But then when you get into Ole Miss and Tennessee, our percentage of winning on both of those is around 70%. So we're a little bit lower, but um, we've the odds of us winning um, each of those games is in the 70 to 90% range. 
And if you think about like worst case scenario, so let's say we make it through Missouri and Florida, um, and let's say Tennessee loses to Alabama this weekend. So, you know, Tennessee's got two losses. Pretty much everybody in the SEC East will have at least two losses except for us. And so worst case scenario is we split the games with Ole Miss and Tennessee where, you know, one of those, we come out flat, one of them beats us. Even if it's Tennessee, we finish seven and one, Tennessee six and two at best. We go the SEC championship. We're probably matched up with either Alabama or LSU, depending on how that game goes. If we win that game, there's no doubt we'll be back in the playoff. And, I mean, that's what we're here for is to give ourselves a chance to win a national championship. And we'll be there, I think, as long as we can get to the SEC championship, get Brock Bowers back, and, um, you know, only have one loss. Yeah, and I'm sitting here thinking about what you are saying. Somewhere I read that Ole Miss still controls their own destiny, but they don't. Because they lost to Alabama, and Alabama's only losses to Texas. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know how they would. So, Ole Miss beat LSU. LSU beats Alabama. Then they all three have one loss. Is that what I they're guess saying? That's what they're so, saying, yeah. Yeah. But win, wow, that's wild. They would win a tiebreaker somehow. I don't mm-hmm. know how that breaks down. Yeah. Well, um, we need you to become our yeah. resident rules expert as well. As in addition to stats, we need you to expand to all SEC rules. Yes, put on my rules hat. Yeah, like how they call that ref, that retired ref during the game to get the opinion on the call. Well, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get involved in the rules too. No, I, I haven't got, I've never bogged myself down in the uh, how a playoff scenario. A tiebreaker scenario plays out. I promise we all will next year. Yeah. <laughs> I got one more stat for you. And this one comes it, – it, it, I got to thinking about this during the Vandy game because it's like, why does it just feel different like somehow with our defense this year over previous years? And if you look at our defensive net yards per play, we're at like 4.3 right now, which is about where we were last year. Um, the difference, the main difference in this year's defense and the last two years defense is um, the red zone. And Kirby doesn't even like to call it the red zone. He likes to call it the red area or the red something. But for some reason he refuses to say red zone. I don't know why, but in the red zone this year, we have given up um, teams that have made it into our red zone have scored touchdowns 70% of the time. The last two years, teams that made it into the red zone against us scored touchdowns 30% of the time. So we basically flipped that this year. And you can kind of feel it, you know, in some of these games like Auburn and Vandy, Vandy made it in the red zone actually just one time besides that pick, and they scored a touchdown on it. And Auburn scored a few red zone touchdowns, and it just feels like when a team gets in the red zone against us this year, we can't stop them. And, you know, that hadn't been the case the last two years, and it kind of, you know, it obviously leads to a closer score because – we're giving up seven instead of three, and that's why that Vandy score looked a 
a lot closer than it did. But um, it's got to be a stat Kirby's looking at. Whatever he calls red, the red zone, he's got to pay attention to the fact that we're team, we're giving up touchdowns on 70% of the red zone opportunities. Yeah, that's a, that's a little bit scary, and I'm hoping that it's skewed by, you know, one-yard drives by Vandy and us giving Auburn super short fields and, yeah. and not having that much data to compile because there haven't been, you know, relatively speaking, all that many touchdowns scored, period. You see what I'm saying? That's that's a good point. And, yeah, the, the one positive about that is looking at red zone opportunities. So if we look at that, we're – we're dead last in the SEC in red zone touchdown percentage. But in red zone opportunities, we're in first. We're tied with Texas A&M. We both have um, allowed teams in the red zone 15 times. Vandy's all the way down at like 30, something like that. But we're in first there. So we're not letting teams in the red. And you can tell with our defense, we don't let teams just drive all the way down the field and score. I mean, that doesn't happen a lot. Is, so we're keeping them out of the red zone, but when they get in the red zone, they're scoring touchdowns more often than they're kicking field goals. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of that's getting inside the numbers right there. Yeah, and you know, I was thinking about what was what was frustrating about it. You know, it just felt different. Like something feels different on defense, and it's not the yards because we're doing good there. Um, you know. Feels like defensive line is taking a step back a little bit from previous years, um, you know, and that's impacted some things. Maybe that's what's impacting the, the red area, but um, I don't, um, yeah, I, we'll leave that to Kirby to solve that. Well, one. I mean, you just nailed it. it is, there's a vast difference in our D line because you don't have Trayvon Walker, you don't have Devontae White, you don't have Jordan Davis, and you don't have Jalen Carter, and those guys are all playing on Sunday. And maybe the guys that we have there now will, but they're just not at that level. And it's nothing against them. Those guys that mm-hmm. we had were just at an elite level and yeah. could eat space and eat two blockers. And I don't think that's the case anymore. So you don't have the uh, JDJs and the Smile Mundans just able to just roam absolutely free. There's guys mm-hmm. now that, you know, they're chipping off whoever's down there to get to them. Yeah. I blame that on Texas A&M's stellar recruiting class a couple of years ago because, you know, Kirby has prided himself at every level of the defense of bringing in the guys he needs to bring in each year. And, you know, we whiffed on some guys that year that ended up at Texas A&M. And, I mean, you look at Texas A&M's D-line, um, I mean, they're, they're studs. And I think that those were a lot of the guys Kirby wanted to get and, who knows, Texas A&M maybe was just shelling out a whole lot of money for them. Sounding like Mark Stoops here. But. I mean, we know that Texas A&M isn't afraid to throw around money as evidenced by what they spent on their coach. Um, mm-hmm. and they may use a bunch more money to buy him out if they don't like the end result this year. Um, yeah. I think, I hope, that the forgotten man, T. Ingram Dawkins, is going to come back yeah. with a roar at the end of this year from that foot surgery. And mm-hmm. be a difference maker. But, I mean, he may yeah. be that – he's so big it's going to take – you know, he might be healed, but it might take him a month just to get in shape enough to play. I know. That's what I worry about with Mims, too, is both of those guys, you know, like 
you think they they've got injuries that they've got to overcome, but then these guys are like six foot six, three forty. Um, you know, that's you can't just jump back out on the field and start playing. How do you keep a guy who can't walk, who's six foot six, three forty, from ballooning into six foot six, three eighty over the course of eight weeks? I mean, there's no telling what kind of you know exotic exercises and diets they have them on to prevent that from happening. Oh yeah, I, I'm sure that they're you know they have a cafeteria protocol they have to uh, to adhere to. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, one more thing. Deke and I were joking about. We joke about this every Monday because Kirby has his press conference every Monday. And it, you and I could write the script for Kirby's press conference because he gets up there and he'll say, all right, we've got Vanderbilt this week. I've got a lot of respect <laughs> for Vanderbilt. We've got a lot of respect for Clark Lee. We, we wanted to turn it into like a drinking game where, you know, Kirby comes on. It's usually like noon on Monday or Tuesday. And, you know, it'd, it'd be a terrible time to to try to have a drinking game because you, every time he says, I've got a lot of respect for, um, you, you know, you have to take a shot of fireball or something. You'd just be wasted by the end of his press conference. Uh, although I will say you need to go to ESPN and read the article that Slayball put out because somebody triggered Kirby and he got super testy. Uh, when Smart was asked about when Bowers might return, he said, you really think I'm going to answer that question? I mean, is that all this is about? I mean, all y'all want to talk about is if he's going to be back or not. That Like, that is the furthest thing from my concern right now. My concern is his team and getting Brock Bowers healthy. To answer that question is speculative, and I'm not going to speculate. So, <laughs> I mean, it would be just terrifying to be a, a reporter in there just knowing that you could you could trigger his anger and he could just totally right. eviscerate you basically in front of the world. You lit that fuse and he just went off on you. That yeah. Oh, we've seen it. He learned that from the best. You know, we've seen it with Saban a few times too, where, you know, you like that fuse. I mean, because they want to control the narrative, they want to control what is talked about and don't bring up questions they don't want to talk about. Yeah, because they they are going to shoot you down. Yeah, just like, (laughs) but just like, just like you tell him what you want to hear, you ask him what he wants to be asked. Right. Yeah. Exactly. What do you want to talk about, Kirby? (laughs) What do you want me to ask you? (laughs) (laughs) So Deke and I each week we'll text each other. Deke will say Kirby's got a lot of respect for Clark Lee or whatever, (laughs) and I text Deke this week and I said Kirby's got a lot of lot of respect for the bye week. Yes. He said, that's get better week. Right, it's exactly. Bye. It's get better. Right. Deke said he's got a lot of respect for the bye week, too. So I think we all do. Man, we, we need yeah, it. Yeah, no kidding. We needed it yeah. now more than ever. Good grief. Let's try and get healthy. Yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, we talked about this stretch when we looked at the, at the schedule at the beginning of the year. It was like this four-game stretch is where – it's all going to take place for us. And, I mean, we're right where we thought we would be. We're 7-0. and I mean, our net yards per player, right where it was last year and right where it was in 2021. So, yeah, maybe the schedule hadn't been as tough. But statistically, we're right where we've been the past two years. And now we get in the meat of the schedule. And these, four, these next four games are, are going to dictate how we feel. Yeah, and they're going to be four games against – four ranked opponents at Florida's ranked by next week. But, I mean, um, you know, whatever. People want to pick at our schedule. We all know we had Oklahoma on there. We all know Sankey took it off. 
due to them coming mm-hmm. over. So yeah, nobody will be whining about our schedule when we show up like we have the last two years and pounded our way to a natty. Yeah. And wouldn't that have been interesting if we had actually gotten to play Oklahoma, you know, looking at it now, um, because, you know, they talk about our week schedule, Oklahoma, if, you know, they beat Texas, but I think I want to say that may, maybe outside of Kansas, if Kansas is ranked, that may be the only other team that's ranked on their whole schedule. So they may cruise their way into, well, at least into the um, Big 12 championship. But, I mean, they've got a pretty easy path to the playoffs if you look oh, at Oh, their it. whole – their FBI for every game is a north of 90 except one game that's 89. And Texas yeah. is pretty much the yeah. same way. So they're on a collision course for a rematch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, it, it weakened our schedule. It weakened their schedule. And, you know, looking at what, what – based on what Oklahoma did last year, we thought, ah, oh, they were, they're going to be chumps again this year. But they're obviously not. I mean, um, you know, they've, they've turned the corner. So it would have been a really compelling game. Oh, there's no question. I mean, and it would have been in Norman. So, um, well, I guess we'll never know. Yeah, right. Well – Hopefully we'll see we'll see Oklahoma and Athens soon now that now that they're on the schedule. Yeah, I mean I guess year after next since we're going to Texas next year. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, that's all the stats I have for this week. Um, you know, I, I bombarded Scott Park with stats last week and he got mad and yelled at me <laughs> um, via text message. So we're just we're just gonna keep it with those. He's quiet till you make him mad. You know those 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 <laughs> quiet gingers. You got to watch them. I know, man. He gave me all those exclamation points. I'm like, man, we you know we it's like post Kentucky game. It was like just stat dump. We had to do it once a year. And you know, hey, do not do not make apologies for your statistics. The people <laughs> need them. We'll we'll be back next week with another stat dump. I'll give Scott something. Yeah, exactly. All right, my man, we'll enjoy your bye week, catch up on your chores, and uh, stay injury-free, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you in seven. That's it. Go Go dogs. So thanking us on our lengthy bye week show, as always, big thank you to all of our sponsors and a big thank you to our regular guests and our special guests, that being Jack Peterson and Mark Slayball from ESPN. Enjoy your bye week. Get your chores did, and we'll see you next week. HBTFD. The Mad Dog Show is proudly sponsored by The Samford Company, Dogbone.net, Bulldog Illustrated, Classic City Collective, The Park Group Marketing and Media, Bib Distributing, Sellers Construction, Ventures Barbecue, Go Clean Co., Jay Lee, Attorney at Law, Pelicano Construction, Jags Pizzeria, Making Monogramming, Ortho Georgia, Cherokee Brick, Progressive Communications, Butler Auto Group, ASP, Ward Mini Storage, Walthall Oil Company, Beach Services, Willingham Sash and Door, and Cranford Chiropractic.